Yes, Shredheads, Waxheads, Kooks and Barneys, welcome to Ain't That Swell Live from Torquay. I'm your host, the two-time Gold Cone Piece Award-winning surf journalist, Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch-drunk Pikey, the Sultan of Psilocybin, the plant-based punk Samivi. And I'm joined here, as always, by my loyal friend and co-host, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former, former editor of Surfing World Magazine, Waves Magazine, Tracks Magazine, Vaughn Deadly. And uh, look, on the night down there at Torquay, we had a slight technical hiccup, so the show's going to kick in somewhere about uh, uh, during our opening rant. But fuck me sideways if it wasn't the most iconic <laughs> panel of surfing talent we've ever assembled. Ha <laughs> ha, you oh, man. kidding me? And I think we just need to give people a little heads up here, Smivy. Because yeah. shit got fucking weird on this one, bruh. Yeah, yeah. If, Real uh, weird. if you're offended by me swearing then, then definitely don't listen to this episode because it. Uh, we cover everything from, you know, Tom Carroll's. Uh, I'll, I'll run through the, the the panel first, of course. Tommy Carroll, wow, wow. Uh, probably my all time favourite surfer, I'd have to say. Followed closely by Taj Burrow, who's, you know, jostling for number one. In my mind, montage, sabotage being uh, two of the most seminal films of my youth. And then who else to round it out but uh, Maurice Cole, the original call lord, the original inhabitant of this continent, a uh, first Australian. He's done a bit of time in the pen. Uh, He's won Australian titles. He's shaped some of the best boards in history. Uh, and on this night, he had had a skinful, and uh, he let rip. We covered everything from Tom Carroll boat trips in the Mets in the 90s to prison rape. Mm. Uh, it goes deep, this one. Uh, yeah. Well done to everyone who came and stuck it out because shit got fucking wild at the end. But uh, you know what? We can't control our guests, and we don't try to, and we don't bother to either, Smitty. We just no. sit back just like you guys, and whatever comes out of their mouths comes out of their mouths. And we do our best to steer it around, I suppose. But sometimes, mate, with a guest like Morris, you just let him fly. Yeah, and it was a bit unfortunate. We didn't, you know, we kind of blew it a bit. We kept Morris waiting too long because um, that's just how the show goes. You know, you kind of want to interview each guest and, and get what you can out of them because once there's three of them on stage, you, you kind of lose control of the interview process a bit um, and it gets a bit squirrely. So our apologies to Morris. He's, uh, you know, I, I can't even believe there's a guy alive who's lived his life it's mm. incredible and it was a bit of a shame we didn't get to go deep into the the legacy of trauma and uh stuff that you know he was left with um due to his upbringing which wasn't easy you know due to the racism um of the time which is you know still pretty rampant in that part of the world towards uh aboriginals and um i mean he's in a tough spot in life at the moment you know he's going through some really heavy shit, as heavy as it gets. And, uh, you know, we, we wish him all the best. He's a proper battler, like a real deal battler. Um, and, you know, sometimes uh, when people are battling, sometimes, you know, they start to lose the battle for a bit. And, uh, you know, we hope he gets back on top. I think I think he's back on top. Mm. Yeah, it was a, it was a, an interesting night. And uh, there's some, some nuggets of absolute gold in here. Uh, worth sticking out to the very end because TB drops one of the best stories I've ever heard on ever. any podcast we've done. It is a belter. So uh, stick in there. Big thanks to Billabong for supporting Ain't That Swell Live. Uh, jump on the website, get yourself a wedding, get yourself a hoodie, get yourself some tracky pants. 
get yourself some stickers if you want. Get a Those bit of old double wave stickers, mate. Iconic. Get a bit of bong in your life. Get some bongs into your life. Bong on your boys. Hey, uh, well, first of all, I like to say, and I ask people gonna find me. Don't want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit. You know. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the pull back, drop down, say bah. Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Oh, that's the table thing? Oh, surf looks good on it. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back. <laughs> Get a haircut. Played. But yeah, the goat was like a little lost mammal on the back road to Bells after an all-night bender, wasn't he? He's just like someone was sending a text, looked up, there was the goat, splat. He got done up by the uh, Swillians. Well done, though, uh, you guys. That was a pretty sick night. It was pretty loud. Is it loud tonight? Sweet. I reckon we topped it, Vaughn. I reckon we topped it. Our three guests tonight, I'm absolutely fucking tripping to have... I mean, it's just fucking surreal, really. I feel like I'm in a cartoon strip or something. Is anyone else feeling like that? I mean, uh, when I think of Australia, I think of Uluru, I think of Albert Nemajira and Charlie Perkins, I think of Bob Hawke sculling schooners at the cricket, I think of Gary Ablett, God taking speckies on some poor cunt's head, and I think of Tommy fucking Carroll bottom turning and snapping under the lip at Maxing Pipeline. Oh man, TC goes beyond mortality for me, he's like... He's the ultimate sock full of walnuts who just knew how to get in the cone, mate. He was oh, so mate. fucking good. The thighs, the thighs. The image, of, the image of TC standing bolt upright in cones just coming at you somewhere in the men's looking like a condom full of walnuts is seared <laughs> into my childhood consciousness. And, uh, I mean, who else we got? TB, Tezza, Tezza Buzzer, Taj Burrow. Oh, I mean, far out. Like, that guy's film, Sabotage. Montage were absolutely monumental in my life. Uh, you know, just kind of if, if if Tom Carroll, as a kid growing up in the nineties, Tom Carroll was my introduction to surfing. You know, he transcended surfing. He was a mainstream legend. Like he was a, like I said, he was a fucking all-time Aussie core icon. And then if he was like my introduction to surfing, Taj was. Uh, he was the guy who just punted me straight into turbocharged teenage froth mode. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's just an absolute privilege and honour and a privilege to have him here today. Well, the best thing about TB, uh, anyone who has ever watched him surf or, or been around his energy or even just, like, when you saw him surf heats, whatever, you always felt like he was your best mate. Like, you just went, that's a fucking bloke I can get on with. And I tell you, he's straight up like that. So having him here tonight, by the end of the night, all of you guys are going to be best mates and probably invited, what, to the christening of your next kid, TB? I reckon we'll all come, mate. Fuck, that's how tight we are now. So, uh, yeah, having TB, his next level, so I'm frothing on that, but I know that the, uh, the final guest this evening Mate, is, touches a chord for both of us. Saving the best till last. The perennial battler, the battler's battler, the first Australian surfer, the ultimate core lord, Maurice Cole, coming on the program. <laughs> Fuck me dead, mate. I'm tripping. So wild. I mean... He was a guy, like, I first come across him, I first knew him as Taj's shaper. 
uh, you know, as a teenager. And then the older I got, the more I found out about him. You know, I found out first, you know, oh, fuck, this dude's a Koori man. Like, he's a, he's a black fella. Uh, I found out, you know, he's a Victorian state surf champ. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? What, like, this guy's just such a core icon. And then I find out he's done two years in the clink for fucking hash oil. <laughs> <laughs> how, how's how's, your, how's your Maury Shrine going at home too? Is it all right? Oh, uh, yeah. There's, uh, the, I burn a bit, bit of midnight all around the Marie Sh- Shrine every <laughs> night. But, uh, man, look, just the, he just kept tallying up core points until he cracked my modern collective crystal pyramid. <laughs> Just an absolute man. It's it's fully mind blowing to have Morris on the show. Is it Morris? I don't fucking know. But anyway, it's, well, all right. Uh, look, we'll just call him Moz for today. Couple of shit yeah, out it. <laughs> it's going to be an awesome show. Thanks so much again for coming out, you guys. Couple of shout outs before we get going. Uh, our sponsors who have made this fucking amateur shit show turn into what it is today. Thanks very much to Billabong for getting behind us. Custom shoes, child eyewear, road mics as well. That's uh, couldn't do it without you guys. Uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to the Victorian State team. First time ever they've won the Aussie title, so well done. kidding me? Yeah, team. That's huge. And uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to my wife on the merch desk. No tuning her, you fucking dogs. I know what you like down here. And I'd like to say thanks especially to the staff at the Torquay Hotel who have uh, peeled me out of the garden and put me in a cab so many times over the years. It's just... Thanks, Ace, for looking after me. So uh, let's do it, Ace Mibby. Let's get our first guest up here. He's named after a Hindu temple, raised by a couple of Santa Barbara and Sid freaks on the run from that narc, Nixon's No Fun America. If West is the best, TB is the best from the West. He's an honest bloke with an honest ale. He pretty much invented the full rotation air reverse and has pumped more crystal vision into his pineal gland than Ram Das, Timothy Leary and Jorge Greenhoff put together. Please welcome to the stage... Stand up, let's throw some shit. Fuck, I spilled beer all over my lion's mane mushrooms. That's no good. (laughs) Taj, mate, it's been a while. We haven't seen you in, uh, I guess it was almost a year, not since the Avrisol. Uh, what's it been that long? I think so. When was that? That was like early on this year. <laughs> Bit of a blur for you guys. Don't there. ask the punch drunk pikey, mate. The uh, noggins copped a flogging. But um, <laughs> yeah, man. What's news? What's been happening? I heard you come a cropper, man. You, you kind of fucked your knee or something. Oh shit! Yeah, that was a while ago. Uh, there's an X-ray. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> First X-ray I got, I knew it was bad. <laughs> and um. Was that injury, like, your first major injury in your life, or had you had a couple before then? Is this a serious question? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we can go back to the x-ray if you want. Oh, no, I didn't. Um, Oh, shit. Yeah, it was. First major injury, I reckon. I mean, I've done a few, you know, tweaks and, you know, little, yeah, minor things. But, yeah, that was a pretty bad one. I mean, I didn't know how... I did my ACL, who they didn't know, and I... Just did a little floater on a two-foot left, which is, you know, kind of all the way, always the way it happens when it's something small surf or whatever. And, um, yeah, felt like a lightning bolt hit my knee. But then the next few days, well, it was actually the day of my 40th birthday. So I had to laugh. I was like, welcome to 40, you prick. Here's your <laughs> bang, ACL snap. Yeah, Peter Pan just got old. Right yeah, there. it was awful, mate. But um, I um, got blind that night because it was my 40th and I started well jumping around the campsite because I was up at Nalu in the northwest of WA and I was jumping around the campsite going, you guys, it might not be that bad. 
And um, next morning it was pretty swollen and pretty sore and I packed up the camp, drove to Perth and, yeah, first X-ray, uh, they said, yeah, you've done your ACL, that's nine months out. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me, nine months. So that was a bit of a shock because I haven't had an injury that bad. Um, and now I see him popping up everywhere, like Mick just did his and John John's messing around with his and it's actually such a common injury and it's a prick of an injury. And, um, yeah, it's hard being out of the surf for, you know, six to nine months. That's what I wanted to ask you. Like, for, for a frother like you, like, you're, you are one of those guys who can see a, a one-inch windswell lapping up on the inside of the bay and just fucking lose your mind. What, what, what did you learn about yourself in that time where you couldn't surf? Because, like, you've never had that big a break. Yeah, good question, actually. I, I did learn a bit because I kind of learned that um, I couldn't surf how I wanted to surf, but I learned that I kind of had to enjoy surfing in other forms maybe so i have to be in the ocean no matter what because i just you know die if i don't go in the ocean i just need it so started swimming and then when my knee got a bit stronger i started like body bashing a couple little ones and then i went to the boog i was just like yeah i need to get some vision boog lord and i just like fuck it i'm gonna start kicking away and fucking getting into a couple and and (laughs) i was so pumped on it it was sick like it's kind of crazy don't you think how I mean, a two-foot tube can be just as rewarding as an eight-foot tube sometimes. You just, like, for me, anyway, I'm just like, fuck, they're all good. And um, being, being on, a, on a boog, and I was loving it. But then I just started... It kind of opened me up to different crafts, and I don't care about riding my... This is due to retirement as well. I don't care about riding my traditional five, nine-and-a-half, 18-three-eighths, two-and-three-eighths, 25 litres, whatever. I, I'm sick of that shit. Like, I'm so sick of riding those boards, so I'm more excited to ride... Um, Fuck, I even started riding sinless soft tops and just doing weird shit, and it was so much fun. So that's kind of what it taught me, is just to enjoy any craft. So I've been loving that. Fuck, well said, TB, eh? That's how you do it. Such a crazy thing to think, you know, your average kind of, I don't know, bloated barn at the beach who's uh, body bashing, you know, one-foot shorties is clocking up more vision than almost anyone. It's fucking psycho. (laughs) That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's all about the vision. Right? Am I right? Yeah, man. Yeah, 100%. And what about, uh, what have you been doing since, Tebes? Like, uh, I mean, how long you been back? You been on any trips? Scoring um, a couple of cones anywhere? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hunting the cones. Uh, I've done a few trips, for sure. Um, got the few opportunities to go to some sick places. I actually was, just got back from uh, Fiji, and uh, it was more of a family trip than anything. Uh, went over there and hung on to Motu Island, and... Um, uh, it was tiny, the surf, so I was like, that's cool, it's, you know, it's a family trip, I'm just going to post up and enjoy it. But by the fifth and sixth day, I'm just like, fuck, I hope we get some swell. And then the, just, yes, it was yesterday, actually, the swell just hit as I was leaving, but um, there was like four, or six foot, four to six foot cloudy, so I got about three hours of it before I hit oh. the, got on the plane. Wow. Cooked. But yeah. so happy You're just to get a taste of it, you know, before I left. You must have just bleached your corn white out there, mate. <laughs> just rinsed it so hard. It was just this little white dot staring back at... Mm, old sparkle corn burrow. So cleansed. <laughs> but uh, and you've got any projects you're working on, man? Like, I mean, far out the last... What was the last one? Listen now, Misty Dawn. That was a yeah. mental section, man. Yeah. Mental section. Oh, thanks. Well played. Uh, Mad. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think the same crew, Apoki, are making another flick, so uh, I was trying to get a few clips for that. Um, surely Billabong are probably pumping out something soon. I don't know. Just kind of... I just try and get good waves, and, and if I get clips, then that's a bonus, but uh, not focusing on much besides having fun. And another bub on the way. 
Yeah, got another Grom on the way. Yep, that's happening. Cheers. Uh, I told everyone I was one's enough, but yeah, somehow ended up with a second somehow. one. Somehow, I wonder how, mate. <laughs> it's one of the mysteries of life, isn't it? Just <laughs> you were an only child, right? Yeah, I was an only child. I kind of thought that was going to be the same, the same deal, but no. What was that like? Well, I'm an only child too, but what was it like in your experience? Um, well, it's all I know, like you. Um, but I figured the one thing I did notice is you have a really close relationship with your parents, I guess. Um, <laughs> And that's all I can say. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> don't know what it's like to have a sibling, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, what do uh, you think? <laughs> what do I think? Um, look, uh, we'll be here for hours if we start talking about my childhood, mate. It was... Uh, <laughs> right. Let's just say it was a little fucking stressful. But uh, I'm here now, and it's all good. Can I, can I get a beer? How uh, do yes, we get a beer? Uh, get a beer can we get some beers up here for the, uh, the guests? And maybe a water yes. for our next guest as well. Sparkling water for our next guest. Whatever. All right, well, uh, without further ado, uh, adieu, without further ado, let's bring up our next guest. He's a two-time world champion, a pipe master in every sense of the word. He's threaded more cones than I've had smashed avos on toast. He's an Australian icon of the highest order. He should be on our 5 10 20 and $50 bills, or at least a roll of toilet paper. Please welcome to the stage... Tommy Carroll, are you kidding me? Oh, it still, it still blows my mind that a guy who I spent pretty much all of my childhood, you know, cutting up mags just for my Tom Carroll wall. Even to the point where I would, like, take off old shots, replace them with new shots. Mate, I think you're the reason why I became a surf mag editor, because I was basically making a mag just of you on my wall every single night for about most of my childhood. It's just... Holy crap. It stakes me out, Tom, that, you know, not only are you uh, a good mate of mine now, and I'm so stoked on that, but just that you're here, mate. You're a swelling. You're on the... I'm swelling. I love listening to your stuff. So I'm kind of a little bit disbelief, and there's so many cool faces looking back at us right now. Like this is this is the guts. It's a beautiful scene, isn't surfing it? right it's now. Fucking oath it is. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? Just an absolute conglomeration of core lords, working class Hessians, cosmic psychos, bogans, legends, and a couple <laughs> swellettes too. Solar psilocybin. I love that one. Now <laughs> <laughs> uh, the feeling. What have you been up to, Tom? Being a dad, you know. Um, even though they're out of the nest, I'm still being a dad. Uh, just <laughs> been jumping around the place. I've actually just come back from three weeks on the Motu. Um, I do stand-up paddle surf, which people just go, what the fuck are you doing? Agreed. Like, what the fuck are you doing? But just like Taj mentioned just a moment ago, you come off years and years and years of this one way of doing something and shit, this whole new world opens up and uh, when my mate um, Dave Kalama, two mates, and Laird Hamilton showed me how to do this thing with a paddle, I couldn't do it. When, when I can't do something, I've got to fucking do it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you healthy at the moment though, Tom? Because you do suffer from a lot of injuries. You spend a fair bit of time out of the water. You seem to always be recuperating. It's, it's so cool. Our body wants to get better. It's just so cool. And what Taj was talking about, 
you know, just before about kind of in, the injury started teaching him about something he would have never learned about before, and that's that's how our body moves and works. And and we're going to get close to this thing so we can take care of it because this thing's going to be with us all the way to the end, and we're going to take real good care of it. And just you know, um, uh, my body's taken quite a few hits, like like you know, and um, my body's doing really good today, thank God. To, <laughs> Fuck, it's on fire. Fucking earth, now. man. You look great for 82, Tommy. You 82. look incredible. <laughs> 83 next week. <laughs> Tom, uh, yeah, your body's always been in great shape. <laughs> look at that condom full of walnuts up there. The 80s have got a lot to answer for. The 80s, we were high-vis the whole time. You think about it. We, were, we weren't on the job. We were off the job. Yeah, well, we were like, and yet no one was. Vis, imagine being in high vis twenty four seven. That's what the eighties was like. <laughs> That's amazing, and uh, yet none of you's got like nailed by big sharks. You know, like isn't that meant to be the uh, the colour of a lure, the yellow board or something? I mean, was that because Vic Hislop was just knocking them all off? For uh... oh look, that's evidence that sharks don't really give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's very true. I just, Sharks give zero fucks. While we're having a look at iconic Tom here, I, I want to give a shout out to Quicksilver for flying uh, Tommy down. Thanks for uh, being part of the night, mate. Um, big ups. Yeah. To, big ups to Quick. I'm interested to know, like, what, what's your secret to staying motivated and finding joy at this stage of the innings, Tommy? Oh, look, um, good question. Um, I just, I think surfing itself has been so... It's just constantly changing for me. I mean, the waves itself, it's so... I think staying in the ocean, like Taj said just a moment ago, like him just... The feeling of just being in the water for him is so healing. And every person in this room knows it. Every single one of us know that that place gives us a healing. We don't even quite kind of understand, but we always feel better when we come out of the water. So I think the oceans, living by the ocean, staying close to it, you know, and as soon as I spend a bit of time out of it, because I've had a knee replacement, that, you know, shoulder reconstruction just recently, so I spent probably about a year and a half out of the water. So staying off the board, so, but doing alternative stuff in order to stay wet and in the ocean, which is super important for me. Yeah, what are your tips, man? Chair. How do you keep yourself sane when, you, when you're landlocked, when you're high and dry? What are your methods? Meditation? Um, well, I do, I do. I've been practising meditation for close on just about almost 13 years now. Mental. So daily meditation is so key for me. It's a game changer. Meditation, if you can give yourself five minutes a day just to start up, five minutes, just give yourself that moment, um, all kind of stuff starts shifting and changing in your body and your mind. It's just going to happen no matter what. But you just got to step out of the way and allow that moment to happen for yourself. It's not... And just for you too. I mean, look how much you do in a day. You give yourself to your work, give yourself to your friends, your family, you give yourself, give, give. I mean, you tr- fuck, give me a surf, you know, like, give me a wave. But, but if you start by just giving yourself, even if it's three minutes, just give yourself a, to a moment in the morning when you first wake up. Doesn't make any sense. Why am I going to do a meditation first thing in the morning? Doesn't make any sense, does it? But have you ever seen how active you are in a sleep? You're just flipping around the bed. I know I am. I kick shit out of Mary, poor Mary, my partner. <laughs> but, she, but I'm an active sleeper. Uh, but waking up, what are you doing sitting. Five 
in the five minutes of meditation. Okay. Yeah, how did you develop uh, the practice? I, I don't do... I do the 20 minute, so twice a day. Yeah, that's a, me too. That's my practice. Me too. That's, that's nice work. Headspace is uh, Headspace. what I go to. Headspace is excellent. But if you need a guided meditation to start off with, that's great. Really, all we're doing is attending to the breath. Um, I use a mantra, but... Um, and that's just a sound, a, a sound that I use. This mantra is, is this manus is mind, tra is car, mind vehicle. So you kind of go down and use that to tr- travel down into transcend the mind. Fuck so no. what we're doing is we're thinking and bubbling up thoughts. We're going to think no matter what. You know, the waves, the ocean's a great metaphor. Thoughts are like waves, right? They're going to come. And you know, if it's a stormy day, man, you're going to have a lot of thoughts, right? We've got a stormy mind. We're like, oh, shit, I can't. I've got to say something all the time. I've got to talk, 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 right? <laughs> Fucking hell. It gets tiring. Man, it's so true what you say. Like, it's, it's a fundamental part of every mm. ancient culture, yeah. except for ours, pretty much. But we're not fucking ancient, man. We're like a flash in the pan, yeah. it looks like. Yeah. Literally, if you are from the East Coast, we're fucking going up in smoke, bruh. It's heavy. Yeah, but, uh, going up in I smoke. guess the, po- the point but, is, like, it, it, is a, it, is a, it is something that has kept so many cultures for tens of thousands of years in shape and intact, yeah. and yet it's just not it's, a thing here. It's ancient. It's an ancient technique. And people try to, to call it new age, hippie, woo-woo <laughs> shit. It's like, come, it's 10,000 years old, you fucking idiot. Well, they figured it out uh, long before we could actually put a, vid- a vision up on stage here or whatever, but this, this um, technique, it all is just coming to the breath. That's what we want to do. And that is just coming back to yourself and then you'll notice thoughts taking us away again. And you'll think about, oh, what are we going to do this morning? I'm going to put this in my coffee. I'm going to go and do And then you go, oh, I'll come back to my breath. And at that time when you do that, do it really gently. Because I know in my, kind of where I come from, it's like, oh, fuck. I'm fucking, I can't meditate. I'll get jump out of my skin and get out of the tea. But be super gentle with yourself. Be really kind. And go, okay, I'm meditating. Come back to the breath. And that's all it is. You're just returning. Give yourself five minutes to start off with. Just be kind to yourself. That's nice, man. When we're talking about healing, TB, uh, we were talking about healing uh, just backstage before. And uh, you've said you've got a pretty funny healing story from this session. This is uh, a classic sesh where you went over to the right and... Oh, this looks fun, Taj. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk us through what's going on here, man? Very normal. Oh, it's a fun one, and uh, now I'm dead. Talk us through it, man. What's fucking going on here? It looks like chaos. For those listening on the podcast, we're looking at the iconic sequence of TB and old Chalkbones Matthews whipping into a... Uh, I don't know. How be, I don't know how you judge the size of these things, but like it's probably, what, 20 foot tall... Fucking 100 metres thick. Yeah, like that. I got that, there. It is. I mean, that was my uh, first attempt at the at the right, and uh, it was scary. Yeah, I went with uh, the one guy that I kind of trusted the most, and um, and this was before his uh, leg got ripped into. Well, and, uh, the first thing he, he said to me is, "TB, you can never be too deep at the right." And I was like, "Oh yeah, no worries." <laughs> <laughs> might be a frag too deep. And that's what happened. I I think there's a story about healing coming, but if you don't want to tell it now, we'll come back to it later. But, like, just talk about, you know, your experience out here anyway. I mean, Chalky's a bit of a lunatic. You say you trust 
you know, we know from you and Tom, uh, sorry, you and Ross towing, how important trust is. If we go to the next frame, we can see just how important the relationship of toe and toe partner is. So here's Tom. <laughs> and there's Ross. Guys, it looks like you guys really chose your partners well. That was, that was like the craziest day out, out at um, Kalbomi. Like, it had been blowing, howling on shore all night. Like, 50 knot on shore. And the, yeah, yeah, Ben Matson's going, yeah, yeah, it's going to be on, it's going to be all, oh, you know, it's going to be swell, you know. We got out there and I'm going, crikey, there's big lumps coming over the back of the wave. The wind's died down to about 10 knots and there's kind of nasty lumps coming through. Couldn't really tell where the reef was. Uh, we're towing into it. I got into a couple of waves and I was sort of trying to get him onto the lump and going over the back, sort of, sort of towing him sideways into the swells that's coming to me. To us and and going over the back of the of the swells is, is it's sort of peaking up and there's big old lumps coming over the back of the wave. I didn't. I came over the back of the wave. Just he let go of the rope. Came over the back of the wave and this big chunk just collected me. And like 700, 700 kilograms, seventy kilogram. Like that thing just it had its own life. I couldn't I couldn't use the thr throttle either. I just just kept my hand off the throttle and I looked down. I'm going down here, I'm going to jump. But then Ross did a turn underneath me. Like, he's turned underneath me. I'm yelling at him there. I don't know why I'm yelling. I go, Ross! I'm going, I'm to, I feel like I'm going to hit him right there. Hopefully he kicks that fade into a bottom turn pretty soon because it looks so, like, looks like I, a dead set. You can, see me, you can see me kind of leaning, kind of try to lean and steadying. Oh, yeah, you're in total control there, Tom. Uh, I'm trying. I, I'm, I'm fucked up. I'm going down with the ship. I mean, no, I'm going down with the ship, man. That thing's taking me out. The thing is, there was like a carbon fibre, uh, like, rig for the GoPros just in front of me there that was specially built by the producers, and that thing got torn off, and there was a couple of carbon fibre horns. Ugh. Yeah, just appeared. <laughs> no, I was lucky. I was super lucky, and so was Ross. Give us your best Ross Clark Jones story, because he's a fucking classic, and he was, uh, he was on Survivor recently, right? What did you make of all that? Oh, God, poor Ross, eh? Like, really? <laughs> Think about it. He survived so much already. Yeah, and then all of a sudden... He survived he the tour to in the 90s. The rope, the rope breaks on him. <laughs> oh, that was heavy, because he was doing quite well. He was sort of moving through and sliding through that stuff. was looked pretty hefty for him. Actually, in fact, when he told me he was going to do it, I'm going, you're going to be in one place... For more than 24 hours, this is going to be hard. <laughs> like, Ross doesn't like being in one place more than 24 hours. So, for him to stick it out as, as long as he did was a miracle, an absolute miracle. But look, Ross is yeah one of my closest mates. You know, we can be apart for a long time and be still connected. We're like that. So yeah. you know, we've been through a lot of wacko stuff in our life. Uh, I don't know whether I can bring uh, that much. I think Morris might have a bit more than me. I don't know, but oh, don't worry, <laughs> that's coming. But, uh, <laughs> you might start prying at that point, but uh, no. Oh, come on, uh, give us one, one, one. Ross only, Clark Jones the, whack job. When we were doing the uh, doing the Storm Surfer series, like we went down to went to this raceway, um, the Eastern Creek um, raceway, to do that sequence with Ross, sort of developing his story around how he how he develops, how he trains. He doesn't do the physical, like, of course he does physical training, but his thing was about racing around the track 
as fast as possible and getting the nerve to push it into a turn as much as possible. Like, driving with Ross, like, is next level. Like, ever since I first came, he first came, he was a Sydney Coast bloke, right? From the Central Coast. Terrigal's finest, right? Mate. Terrigal Haven. Yeah. Kingpin. Mate. No, it's the car yeah. park Cap- donut capital of the Captain world Coast there, too. and Eagles. <laughs> huh? You're joking. Yeah. No. He's, a, he's, what, he's an incredible hooker. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Incredible. Great, great rugby league player. Anyway, Ross is like, um, he's turned up to my house. I, I didn't, really, didn't really know him that well at that point. He's turned up in a Kingswood. Oh, uh, iconic you know, eagle. My yeah, mum had uh, one. You know, uh, and he's yeah, three on the three on the on the stem there, you know. And he's and he's going. Oh, we needed a little bit of milk down the road just for some tea because we want to have a cup of tea, you know. Early in the morning, before going for surfing, he goes, "Fuck, you haven't got any milk. Fuck, you know. Let's fuck go down a couple of cones. Go down, fucking get down, get down. <laughs> couple of cones and a cuppa. Fair enough." And he goes, he gets... Breakfast the champions. Yeah, he goes, he gets, we get in this Kingswood because he's in the, I couldn't get my car. He goes, well, just reverses out of the driveway, just full wheel spin, the driveway. And he's like, belts it down the road and someone pulls out in front of us in the street and he's just up their ass, all the way to the shops. They just so happened to be going to the... But that was Ross. That was Ross all the way. Ever since we, we, you know, like from that day on, it was exactly like that. Mm. Up someone's fucking ass as hard as possible and <laughs> fucking get out of my way. Oh my god! And that was it. You know, ever since oh. that point. Oh, oh, I hope that's so literal. That, that's the, that's the goal. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe get him onto some of that meditation you were talking about. Yeah, <laughs> So, TB, I want to ask you about Tom and Ross as well, because uh, when you were a grommet, about 13, 14 here? Yeah, hard to say, round about that. Uh, you were on the quickie team, and you went on this boat trip with... I know where this is going. Yeah, well, well <laughs> we've only ever heard rumours of this story. I mean, everyone sort of, like, kind of knows, doesn't know, but it was a, one of the first trips to the men's, and uh, you get chucked on a boat with this, with this bloke, with this guy for I don't know how long. <laughs> but... Clearly, things went awry. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, that boat trip. Um, so we were all with Quicksilver, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell her who was on the boat. It was insane. So it was uh, Tom and Ross, uh, Strider, Wazalewski, Braden Diaz, and another, another guy that was um, Dave Dixon. Dave Dixon? No. Yeah, Dave Dixon, who was um, slightly a bit older than me. So... That didn't work in my favour. Uh, I, was, I was the Grom. And uh, we did an unheard of amount of days in the Mentowies. These days. Tw- 20, back then, it was, back days. then it was a short trip. Yeah, it talk was, to us about it, the it men's was, back then. Because it was pretty much uncharted at this point, right? Like, well, I mean, it was close early to days. It. I mean, Tom had been there a lot of times before me. But this was, um, one of, this was my first trip there. And it was with <laughs> the OG Lord of Martin Daly. And Ooh. it was on his uh, Indy Swan. And... Um, we did 21 days at sea, and I was 15 or 16, and uh, I just thought I was going to die out there. <laughs> and what brought this uh, this fear of uh, imminent death upon you, uh, Taj? Well, you broke, you broke uh, like you have all your boards in the first five days, six yeah, boards. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, as much as the, the grommet boost went down, Tom lent me his boards because I broke five surfboards in four days. And I had nothing left. And I was 
this skinny pin dick grommet, like so little. <laughs> and uh, next minute I had no boards left and, I'm, and there's fucking 16 days left on this boat trip with these maniacs and I don't have a board. And um, so Tom lent me his boards. Uh, he, they were a lot thicker than mine. But whatever it takes, like, he got me in the water and, yeah, I thank him for that. Because uh, I got my best wave of my, you know, to, to date my, yeah. of my life. Yeah, and it was pretty, on one of your boards. It was pretty amazing, that trip, huh? Yeah. I really. Sick. Yeah, oh, what, it was incredible. Fucking earth. What kind of waves did you get? Yeah. And well, how much okay. of a trip? We did, we did, yeah, 21 days. We surfed 26 different breaks. And we named right. 17 new ones. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's a good one. That's like a kind of record trip. Tom, uh, where were you at? You were off tour? Yeah, I was just off tour. Um, about a couple of years just off the tour. I, I were you dealing with retirement well or how was um, that going? Well, was, you know, it was a bit rocky, you know. I was, but I had a really good run uh, coming out of there because I, I invested in, in a, um, like a licensee to do uh, it's, it's, um, wetsuits and, and other products. Uh, with Quicksilver, in US, Australia, um, Europe, um, eventually, um, with a couple, few other partners. So I was sort of in the business end of the end of the end of the. So industry. life was good. Life was life good. Life was ticking over, and I was really involved. And and the mentor I was just starting to open up. Um, we'd done a trip in '92 uh, with Martin Daly, and you know this was just full of. No one was up at the mentor. No one. So. Uh, that was kind of extraordinary. The place was empty. Wasn't it? Uh, it was so beautiful. And that we actually initially called it the weather for Carwees because um, Martin Daly never used to show us the maps. So we didn't know where the fuck we were. So it was weather for Carwees. And, um, and, uh, but that trip was where we really started to um, search out places and look at different ed- edges of islands and stuff and so forth. But we were basically there to shoot imagery for Quicksilver to start marketing their brand. And yeah. so what about TB? What did you know of him? Had you met him before? Yeah. And, no, and how was the, the mood on the boat about having this, uh, you know, skinny little whippersnapper starting to, to yeah, come so on? Did you feel like you had to nurture that talent yeah. delicately? I went to, like, this... I went to this night event at, at Cottesloe Beach one night. Um, I don't know when that was, but Taj, you were surfing in it, I think. A uh, little... You're like a full grom. I was... You... Dave McCauley... Introduced you to me, and that was, I don't know, maybe 92, maybe, or something like that. Just this little kid just ripping the daylights out of this little shore break that didn't make any sense to me. Um, but that, I've gone, that guy is fucking good. Like, you know, you just know when someone's going to kill it. We're just going, oh, this guy. Anyway, we got on this trip together, and, uh, the, the, you know, it's been 21 days on a boat, and... It, it's tough, uh, you know, like, you know. What I want to know is, and what everyone wants to know is, did it's you take so- Taj under your wing and go, don't worry, mate, I've got you. These, these guys can't touch you if I'm around, or were you basically the guy holding him down and shaving his head? Uh, well, we kind of had a little moment. Uh, see, what happened is we had... We had a, we'll change no, from day 23 to day 25, Vaughn. You know, on day okay, 23, so, he was no, the was mentor. A, there was and, a rule, okay? No beers. We had no beers until last night, okay? So we weren't drinking, no beers. We're just on a job. And we're just going to enjoy our surfing and get into it. And, it, you know, and Taj was in the mix doing his thing. There's a bit of a dynamic there with Dave Dixon because Dicko, he was like the only white guy in his class in Florida. He had a fucking 
attitude too. Like, he and he's going, it was way like, and this is, you he know, Taj come out like single, you know, this little kid from WA, just, you know, single, <laughs> single kid, you know, parents just really like looking after him. He's in, you know, just, he's a ripper too, like kind of what, awesome to watch. So Dave was sort of like, oh, this guy's challenging me, you know, he wasn't liking it. Uh, but also he just wanted to get gnarly. And so there was a bit of a, a, bit of a dynamic there because it's a social experiment. You get on a boat trip, like everyone knows, it's a social experiment. It's quite like Survivor. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's where Jeff Probst yeah. got the idea from, well, actually. So the last night, it's been a big trip. So uh, we've been watching this movie on loop called um, Few Good Men. It's got, like, uh, you know, Tom Cruise and, um, and Jack Nicholson in it. And it's, it's got this section in where they do Code Red... It's called Code Red, right? When when they kick someone's just been a, you know, just not really pulling their weight, whatever. I got Code Redded. That's where we're going. That's what happened. All right. It's a Code Red. Yeah. So we all went into the Code Red on on Taj, and that meant sort of taping him to the the galley uh, table and spraying, you know. You must have been the last one, mate. You must have been the last prodigy to fully get whipped on that level. Yeah. And it, was, it just it doesn't was happen now. It back. Here's <laughs> the grommet beers. Uh, I love the fact that if you're actually in the Navy, you'd get court-martialed for that. I think they call it hazing, but uh, in surfing. But, but you know, Sweet. like, it affected Taj straight away. So what we did was, right, Taj, it's all right. We're going to do it to Hornbaker. So we did it to Jeff Hornbaker as well. And he's like, he's a grown man, like, proper. But we ended up getting him out of his room, taping him to the galley table and... Doing it to him too. Classic. <laughs> TB, Such is teamwork. What did, you, what did you take away from that trip? Like you got home, you had no boards, you'd been away for 20 days. Did, were you a changed man after it? Oh, for sure. It definitely shaped me to who I am today. It was one of those moments. No, it really was because um, I was so sheltered. You know, Yelling Up is a small town in Western Australia, even smaller then. Um, and I was... I'd never been thrown into a mix like that. Obviously, a bunch of maniacs. And um, 21 days at sea just felt like an eternity. And with none of my own surfboards, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I just wanted to go home, really. Um, but now, looking back at it, I wouldn't change a fucking thing. It was sick. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you reckon, Smitty? Is that, is that an advertisement for grommet abuse? Should we, should we grab these two kids in the front row and strap them to this beam? Did someone say Code Red? I, so... But, um, look, before we leave the Mints, uh, you've been back, both of you guys, plenty of times. How's it looking up there, Teeves? You, you had this session just the other you know, year ago. It was unbelievable, mate. Huge, huge slab and HTs, was it? Yeah, that's HTs, yeah. I mean, is the joint... Is it blown out? Is it cooked or is it still all right up there? I've been there for a few years. And, um, look, last time I went there, I actually got some really nice sessions in. I got one amazing session at... Ah... Um, oh, What's that rifle range? The right. It's really scary. Kind of rad, rifles, Kanduri rifles, and uh, that was amazing. Um, it does get crowded. Like surfing somewhere like Macaroni's today, you, it's really crowded. Um, anything like it's just it's just it's a different place now for me, for sure. Yeah, there's windows in the crowd every now and then, but overall it's pretty bloody busy. It's, you know, it's hard to get those windows. You need to do a bit more time out there, I think. But, you know, you can pluck it and you can get one of those six sessions where it's just 
Indos, you know, those islands are so bizarre with the tides and the swell and the period and the direction. It's just like everyone's an expert when you're out there. Everyone's like, no, we've got to go to fucking Greenbush. No, it's fucking good for HTs. And it's just like the constant battle. But when you get it, it's, it's insane. But it is, um, it's pretty busy. And my last couple of trips, I was like, shit, I don't know if I'm going to do this again because they were pretty long in the tooth and, you know, three foot the whole time. But then you get a session like that session was was it just was like holy shit this place is the best ever. Yeah, talk to us that about was, this session because that's the kind of closing wave from your your globe clip, right? Yeah, that was that the, that footage that went. And that to, that's like as big as an Indo Conus I've ever seen, pretty much. Yeah, it was it's cooking. Mega. I um I it was I was lucky enough because obviously with the the boat trips in the Mentawis you book them you know six months in advance or so, and um you, you would prefer to be able to do a strike mission out there. And I was lucky enough to do that. Um, HT's resort hooked me up and they said, there's a swell coming, you can come and stay with us. And I was like, shit, yeah, this is perfect because I don't have to hope that my window is going to have swell. And I went out there for that and it was, yeah, it was, it was pumping. It was like six to eight foot, it was rolling in off that thing. It was like a sunset roll in and it was such an easy takeoff, like just flapping on this outside capping bommy and then you'd roll in and it would just be a stand-up hit every time. It was so sick. Loved it. Like, wow. Uh, Teeps. Um, what about your first impression of Tom? Uh, what role did he play in your life as a grommet? What was the best session you ever saw him have? This is from a Heritage Heat, probably when you were still on tour, but... Well, oh, yeah, I remember that. But the, the things that stand out in my mind is um, just the, bot- the, the bottom turn at pipe. Just, you know, the condom full of walnuts, just fucking leaning into it. Um, like, it's just, uh, it's just uh, you know, obviously iconic. And I just love that low centre of gravity bottom turn. And then once he knifes into the tube, that just, that, just that style when he's exiting the tube at pipe, it's just so mean. Just that the combination of the bottom turn and then that threading the pit. Like, it's just branded in my brain. And, uh, you know, I used to watch a lot. And, you know, goofy, natural... It, it, it just didn't matter to me. I was like, that's in fucking insane surfing. And, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Taj. <laughs> of course. Mate. And then the snap, of course. You know, that's the one. But I just loved... Um, I really liked his style in the pit at Pipe. All right. Thanks, Taj. Mantle. Love the insight. Love the analysis. But uh, it's time to get deep into Tommy world. Now, Tommy, uh, you're the son of a hardcore truth-telling newspaper journalist in Victor Carroll? Yes, that's right. And uh, this was back when journalists were journalists and not sell-out bourgeois scum doing the bidding of nihilistic megacorporations. No. Yeah. My question is, uh, what kind of a man was Victor Carroll and what sort of values did he raise you with? Oh, look, my father, uh, he was quite stoic in his, in his position. Like he's, and he's super, what bugged me was he was just super logical. Like, I just... Because I'm, like, out there. I'm, like, oh, I want to get up there and climb trees, go... Surf, you know, completely different human. But uh, what he instilled in me was that... Just to back up, you know, um, no matter what. And that was, you know, turn up, show up, back up, no matter what. And um, and also, in particular, in the last... Say, just being a really good father to my daughters. You know, just being there with them... Uh, you know, no matter what, also turning up for them. Uh, you know, just being a really strong father figure for them, just so that they have that solid sense of the male right there. Um, in that, 
And my dad was always, you know, whenever I kind of need something, he was always there. He was just solid rock. And that's how, um, yeah, that's what he taught me, just to be really solid with my kids. And, uh, uh, and you know, I mean, he's been amazing. I mean, I lo- we lost him in, on the 2nd of June this year. Oh, man. And so, you know, he, he passed away at 94 and a half. Yeah. So I never thought that, you know, like I thought, oh, he's had a good innings. That's kind of a positive big deal. But, God, you lose your father, it's a trip. I'm just like... Every now and then I have a little wobble and uh, I don't know why I'm wobbling, but it's, it's you know, he had a really uh, very powerful impact on both Nick and I and my sister and, and oh, we've got two other sisters as well, um, half-sisters. Um, and, yeah, we've all been brought closer as a result, you know, of having a really strong father figure. But what he did in his life, you know, <clears throat> I really didn't... I mean, I knew what he did, but then when you get the eulogy and you get to you know, retrace everything and get that all again. Uh, an extraordinary life, you know. Um, you know, having to go and fight in Borneo with the, with the Americans against the Japanese in the jungle <laughs> at 18 years of age. What? Get, I mean, go figure. I mean, to come back and, and you know, deal with life that way. And um, back then, we're just different people. We've just been wrapped in cotton wool, you know. Uh, so, yeah, but... Yeah, he, he, was in a, he was lovely, great, great man. And uh, the way he expressed himself was very, very just solid. There was no, you know, no waviness, you know. Not like me, I'm all over the place, just wish-washy, freaking ADHD, just, yeah, I've got to do that, catch this. He just go look on and go, um, so how's Ross going, Tom? You know, like... <laughs> you know, like He's right up someone's ass somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> 16 coffees in his belly as well, probably. <laughs> but, uh, and of course, you know, you're the brother of famed surf journalist Nick Carroll, a, a personal hero of mine and a 42-time Gold Cone Piece Award winner. Uh, oh, look at him. <laughs> in fact, legend has it the original Golden Cone Piece belonged to the glass billy Nick kept under the desk at Tracks Magazine there in the 90s <laughs> when he was driving the red, red hatchback and had dreadlocks. But uh, yeah, what, what kind of relationship did you guys have? Was he, you know, the, the loving brother who always had your back or was he the, the fucking mad cuntish brother who you could never turn your back on? Let's have a look at those eyes. Yeah, he looks pretty I mean, cuntish in that photo. Can you imagine every doorway that I walked through with him, I had to kind of... It, it was a competition. Right? It was a competition <laughs> to get through the doorway, like... Or, you know, everything was like, whoa, cut him off of the pass. I love it. That's a great image, you two you know, trying to squeeze through a doorway somewhere. <laughs> He's in the front seat. It was not, It was full tilt. You know, he's, he's, you know, two years older than me and he's, um, he's just, he was, you know, imagine growing up with someone who's got a photographic memory. It's tough. Like, I've got nothing on that. I mean, it's... And he's just got this brain that's just made for information and to soak it up and then, and retain it and bring it out, you know, at the right time, on the right... You know, it's just impeccable timing. And uh, the man's like... He's an encyclopedia. So to, to have to... I mean, really, uh, I'm not a 24... I'm a competitive person, obviously, but not 24-7. Not like my brother. But he brought it out of me. For sure. So I really love him for that. He's a wonderful brother. He's been an extraordinary support for me. Like, we're super close. And, yeah, have a deep love for each other. Mm. 
All right, and let's rewind uh, back to 1981. The year was 1981, obviously uh, the arrival of the thruster on the scene, courtesy of Simon Anderson, but it was uh, pretty significant for you for another reason, because uh, I think it was the year you were told you would never compete again. Is that right? Uh, that was, yeah, I had the knee, my original knee surgery. Uh, I'd completely ruined my knee trying to take off on this wave. We, we used to call this wave Pissing Point. At um, you minor point, if it, I don't know. Nasty little know, slab there. Nasty little slab. Where uh, Glenn, Glenn Michael Hall's from, you minor's finest, of course. Yeah. Well, I just tore my knee apart because we used to go over there and when it was too big on, on our beaches, we used to just convoy it all the way around, take about two hours to get there. Egg fights on the freeway, ah, and everything. We'd finally get there and just all the Newport boys, we'd just over, take over the place. It was ours. Right, so we get out there and just get launched, and I made a bad, you know, just made a bad decision. I didn't pull in this one time. It taught me never, never hesitate. This this one wipeout just got ruined. Slab broke on top of me, tore my knee completely apart. ACL, MCL, bits and pieces everywhere, and I ended up on. I had a had a rip curl, uh, like short sleeve uh, vest on, and a pair of quickie boardies. And this had no... It was really hard to get on because there's no zip. But I tore that off in the wipeout. Ended up in the rocks with this knee kind of... This bottom part of my leg flopping around. Four years later, multiple kind of dislocations. I ended up coming up again, you know, because the first doctor I saw had a bow tie on. Never trusted bow ties since. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even look at me. It's true. I haven't seen someone wearing a bow tie in years. Yeah. Never trust maybe, a bow tie. Maybe they all got fucking killed or yeah. something, those people. Especially when I'm really confident in a bow tie. No. Anyway, so he, he didn't even really examine me. It was, a, you know, this is 1977, right? Uh, he didn't really examine the knee. He just looked at me, long, long-haired, surfy kind of kid. Doesn't, he, he doesn't play rugby, that's for sure. And so anyway, he just didn't examine me. He just said, oh, I'll get the nurse to, you know, measure you for crutches and... Take these and you'll be okay. Keep it wrapped for six weeks. You'll be fine, young young Sonny. Go now, you know. And that was it. That was the first consultation with an orthopedic surgeon with a bow tie. And then four years later, multiple dislocations. I finally came up to the legend uh, orthopedic surgeon Merv Cross, and he saw it and went, Ah, you'll be right, Tommy. Slap my knee. I never forget. It. He goes, You'll be right, Tommy. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll just tie that buddy up, bugger up with a hamstring for you, you know? I'll never forget it. <laughs> Getting wheeled into all these, you know, saws and drills and stuff. On the, on, and he went in there and fixed it up for me. But that was horrible. Yeah, that, back then you just get wheeled in, you're still awake. You're looking at shit. <laughs> wow. You go, oh, God. Yeah, just, we'll just, yeah, just fill you up with the stuff, count to 10, <laughs> out. I wake up, with the, I was in a cast. <laughs> You know, and they, back then when they did ACL uh, and MCL surgery, um, they used to put you in a, a right angle cast that set your knee at a right angle. They never do that now because it wastes the knee away, wastes the leg away. And um, I actually ended up goat boating because I just couldn't, like Taj, I had to get in the water. There's no such thing as using... I knew there was a flaw with you, Tom. I mean... I knew there was something wrong. You couldn't be that good, mate. Uh, I was out the peak goat boating. I was out the, I was out the, go, out the peak goat boating. Didn't have a gaff on it, but... <laughs> I 
Oh, God, Sliding down the ladder, mate. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Love and, the guy. And the, the knee injury, it ended, up, it. it ended up shaping your style, right? Like, that ended up becoming a, yeah. an iconic part of your surfing. Can you That's talk it. to us about that? That's it. Well, first of all, the doctor, one of the doctors said I wasn't going to s- compete again. And I literally cried for, like, three days straight. I'd wake up crying, going, fuck, that was a part of my whole life. Oh, God. And then it was cut off. But then, yeah, it did start to shape my style because... Um, I had to work really hard on my legs and at the same time, it's probably not a good idea, you know, to um, go one-legged. <laughs> but basically, I, I served my career highly back-legged. Like, um, it wasn't until after I competed, um, I, you know, finished the tour that I started looking and watching, you know, Kelly and Taj and, and Shane Dorian and these guys... They're, you know, Rob Machado and stuff, getting inspired by their surfing to sort of try and get more sort of even-footed. Uh, but that put more pressure on the knee. By the time I was 40, I was looking for a replacement. I was, like, freaking out. That's crazy, though, because, like, the, the style of surfing that Smithy's talking about that you brought through, you won world titles with it. Everyone that came through wanted to surf like you. I think everyone sensed that was kind of weird and special. Like, what's he doing? And then they saw Tom Curran and went, oh... That's what we want to do. You know, because really my style was pretty wacko and, uh, you know, like it might have been a bunch of uh, walnuts in a condom. But <laughs> I think... Uh, but <laughs> but it's, um, that was just me expressing myself. I had nothing... I didn't really see style really that... I loved people like Michael Peterson, Keith Paul, uh, Nat Young, um, Wayne Lynch, all these guys... Cole Smith, Sydney, you know, these guys shaped my surfing, but uh, later watching and getting influenced by these guys really started to sort of shape my surfing. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. Like, when I was a grommet and reading mags and it was you, Potts, Elko, Oki, I just felt like I was never going to be a pro surfer, which turned out to be true, had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but I just felt like I was at a total disadvantage because the style of surfing of the day was short nuggets. Yeah. You know, like power surfers, all low centre of gravity. TB, when you were growing up, did you feel like there was sort of any disadvantage between what Kelly was doing and what you were doing, or were you just like paddling out and just going, I just want to do that but do it better? Um, well, when he brought out the Kelly Slater in black and white and he did the reverse, that was just like everything to me. I was just like, holy fuck. He went that way in the white water, like pat the dog, came around. I was like, that's crazy. And I just went out and tried to do that every session. And, like, I just remember, like, the feeling of when I made my first reverse in the white water was just so fucking insane. Best feeling ever. And it's just so cool to, to, to think about that. You know, you, you look at your favourite surfer and when you do something that you want to do, you know, it's just it's a good feeling, you know, achieving those little little goals. But um, what was the question? <laughs> wasn't really a question. Wasn't really. Just wanted to talk about how I never made it as a pro surfer, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, mate, can I just bring up a little moment about you? Just seeing as it's your birthday and all. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Oh, shit, yes. It's not much of a story, a bit of a leader, but um, basically, basically, when we did um, a fairly iconic movie called Seven Days, Seven Slaves, you were on that trip, and uh, there was myself, 
Nathan Webster, Jake Patterson, Matt Hoy, Luke Hitchings, Dan Malloy. Who else? Did I miss someone? Hoy? Did you say Hoy already? Hoy, Snake, Nudes, Hitcho. <laughs> this, is, this could be a fun hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Aussie. Fucking Aussie, of course. Oh, it was the movie that made him. Best, yeah. Anyway, long story short, Vaughn got the tube of the trip. The tube of the trip. Absolutely. Wow. Threaded this nugget from the top of Lance's left. It's called the Cobra. Well, that's a tricky one. And he just got this freaking nugget. It's in the credits if you want to go watch it. But it was just one of the greatest. <laughs> no one wants to watch it. <laughs> Had to sneak it in there, mate. No, it was one of the. It was. It was the tube of the trip. It was the best one that went down, and it was you. Thanks, Teeps. <laughs> go watch it. It's online somewhere. Go watch it. But. <laughs> I've got a good story about you too, TB. Uh, one night, it was after the Karamas event, we all had a bit of a heater in Bali and um, we were at your, pl- your villa and uh, Ronnie fell asleep on one of the day beds and you walked out and you didn't see him and he reckons you were in the nude <laughs> and you just walk out like this, put your hands on your hips and just start pissing into the pool. <laughs> The old autopilot piss, eh? And so classic. Ronnie just crept out behind you and just went, crack. <laughs> just kicked him in the ass and he fell straight into his own piss. <laughs> True or false? No uh, question. Uh, Tom, where were we? I was just saying. I'd just say if that happened. But uh, yeah, back to Tommy. <laughs> Mate, back to back in 83 and 84. Talk us, uh, talk us through the first world title year, man. Uh, well, um, well, I kind of, you know, it's, it's tricky. Like, I, I must admit, I didn't really, like, think of myself as a world champion, you know, early on in my career. I just didn't think, I couldn't really see it. I didn't, you know, I wanted to be really, really good at what I was doing and, uh, you know, get really good at surfing and possibly, you know, MR was blitzing. Like, he was four-time world champion and... Uh, but I just beat him at Sunset Beach in, in, in my first World Tour event uh, win at, at uh, the World Cup at Sunset. It was the last event on the tour in 982. Uh, 982, and I beat MR. I beat the world four-time world champion in the final. And I come in on the backside, and I'm just going... Wow. Fuck. You know, I was frothing. Okay. Can, you, can you kind of just, like... Let everyone in the room know just how intimidating and how hard that was. Like, was he, uh, was he, like, what was it like paddling out against MR? Would he look at you? Would he talk to you? Would, did he have any sort of mental fuckery going on that would just trip you out? Well, not really, because MR was kind of, I could feel him. You can feel your competitors at that point, where they're going. And he was kind of like seeing the energy coming out of myself and Tom Curran, particularly Tom Curran. He, he just won in Japan. I got second to him. And I'm like, he'd won a tour event before me. And I was pissed. I was like going, Tom Curran's won a event before me. I'm like, I've got to win in Hawaii. You know, and that was the next part, uh, um, leg on the tour. And the last leg was Hawaii. And I was like, I've got to win one of these events in Hawaii. And ultimately, I'd like to surf and win on the backside at sunset before pipeline. Because I felt that there was going to be a pipeline of masters in me at some point. But I wanted to win at Sunset so bad. I love Sunset. It's like, it's in my blood. It's like one of those ways, it's like snowboarding. Like, you know, you're taking off on a mountain, it changes and it warps, and you actually surf the wave from start to finish. 
there's a lot of action in the way that warps and morphs itself and I just love that feeling um, and I just got this incredible board off uh, off you know because your boards mean so much don't they TV you know you, and when you feel on a really good board underneath your feet and it just li- all the stars align for that event um, and I just felt like I was just getting stronger and he was kind of coming off the backside of it and and everything about my career was getting more serious you know, my knee felt really good from the surgery. I was just, you know, just everything was, f- like, just blossoming for me in many ways, physically particularly. Uh, at 21, you know, I was, like, getting really strong. I could feel like I could last out sunset all day without a breath, you know. Um, had a kind of natural feel for that sort of... F- and the day just got really nice. There was really nice sunset. Uh, yeah, it was a north swell, so uh, it was coming off the point. And this 7-2 Bill Barnfield single fin was just such a beautiful board. I got him to narrow the tail and thin the tail out. And I just Mental. never forget the feeling of the board being able to hang in and keep the tail in. But Simon Anderson, who shaped, he shaped my boards my first couple of trips to Hawaii. And they, they were awesome. Every now and then they'd skip out in these moments. But this... Bill Barnfield wasn't skipping out. I could push it as hard as I wanted to, down halfway down the face. And a single fin to do that was, was beautiful. And that feeling just started to flow into the, as the day progressed. And as, you know, Taj attests to you, when you feel yourself coming through an event, I kind of don't go, I'm going to win the event from the first heat. I've never been like that. I just started sniffing. You start sniffing the win in each heat and your performance kind of starts bulging and I think you would have heard the interview with Jack Robinson just recently with his 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 win at Sunset. Uh, I loved the way he talked about how he was just going through the event and just kept feeling it and that's the nature of the beast. When we start feeling the wind and start sniffing the smell of the wind as we go through the event, uh, it feels so good. Fucking up. The first goofy footer world champ. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Are you kidding me? I think that goes for the first world title. Was that it just started to sort of sniff it closer as uh, as we went through it, and then I the tour changed that year with there's no Hawaii in it, which was really unfortunate and really depressing. I wanted to go to Hawaii so bad and have the events in Hawaii, but the Hawaiian events were called off, and it was a new SP tour, and and I had to I had to train because I was falling away in the middle of the year because of the small wave events and and um, I just couldn't surf really well in little waves and my manager at the time said you've got to train on little waves to get really good to beat these guys in little waves I've gone ah brutal mm. so but I went and put my time in it on the south on the south side of Sydney oh the old rip bowl mate Bondi out, rip bowl yeah, whacking Bondi it whacking rip, it whacking Bondi it whacking it I just I know it well waves that just didn't make any sense to me you know Maruba and and, and Cronulla and all that sort of stuff on little onshore days, hours and, and hours. But oh, you're taking work. me back, Tommy. You're taking me back, mate. What a so fucking that torturous that youth worked, it was. The last few events on the tour, I ended up getting like wins back to back and taking out a world title. That's when I started to smell and get a different posture. When you get a world title, you from posture. Yeah. So, so this is what I want to know. When you went on tour, we asked this of, of guys who have come after you a lot. 
about your generation. But what I want to know is when you got on tour, you know, the MRs, the Rabbits, the Shawns, those guys, how intimidating were they? Were they, were they nice guys to you guys or did they actually try and make your life hell? Uh, I mean, Shane used to try... Yeah, Shane was pretty tough. I mean, Shane was a really heavy competitor. Can Shane you give Morris. us, like, a heat where you were just yeah. going, I cannot get this guy off me? No, and then and Rabbit. Rabbit was heavy. Like, he was a tactician, super hard to beat. I used to think, oh, I've got this guy sussed. I'm better than this guy. I can feel... I can take this guy out. And he'd go out and he'd, he'd kick my ass. So i go, what did I do wrong? And it just sent me with my tail between my legs, you know... People like Sean and MR. Sean was a real gentleman. He actually helped me out a lot, Sean. And, and I loved Sean's surfing. Guys like, you know, Simon were really... I mean, Sean was a hardcore competitor. MR was very quiet and off to on his own thing. I didn't really have much to do with him. But I just loved watching MR and looking at his boards. I used to pick up his boards every time. I, every chance I had, I'd pick up MR's boards and just... God, look at the rails. I'd just freak out. Simon Anderson was really good to me. Like, he helped me out a lot um, in his unspoken way, you know. Just a super supportive guy and just, um, showed me the ropes in, the, in, in Hawaii. But, uh, but it was competition. The competitors, no one would know it. I mean, seeing MR's boards in the, in the competitors area or anything was kind of like, I just feel like I'm sneaking a peek. But no one picked boards in covers, no one's better look at that and there's a sort of dude, stink eye the whole time, and the 80s was kind of nasty in the water, 70s and 80s it's all friendly now back then it was, it just <laughs> what happened, like Terry Richard was telling us he, he used to like wait till a wave had gone by and elbow his competitor in the back of the head just to like rattle him a bit who was the one guy who you just you know, had proper beef with like when you paddled out you went right, it is bulldogs, like you know, a couple of French bulldogs Going at it. Um, I think uh, I didn't really ever have that kind of nasty kind of thing towards anyone, but Shane was hardcore. Like competing against Shane from from a grommet, like he was always trying to play the game on me, like try to get the one up. Fuck the, yeah, Scum Valley's finest, the original Urban Hesh, and absolutely yeah. feeding it to the condom yeah. full of walnuts. Yeah, fully. He always tried to get me, even if it meant sort of having a game on the pinball machine or or came with table tennis before the heat, you know, to try and get the one up on you. Stuff like that. It was, and then once you're out in the, out in the water, it was, it was, there was no words being said. And if it was, it was a twist. And what, and what was the worst it ever got? What was like the nastiest, most haggard hassling you ever saw? You know, like, was it, did it get, did it come to blows? Uh, not for me, but I got sandwiched in my first Pipeline Masters final. There was a six man final. Pipeline in 1979, and I was out there, and I got just got. I wasn't allowed to get a wave, basically. Uh, you know, because <laughs> wow. I got sandwiched by Dan Killara and, and Larry Bertelman were just right. We're just gonna, we're gonna v, gonna sandwich this guy, and they <laughs> just took me. It was no a classic. Way. But I had to go. Okay, I'm just a kid. You know, these guys are the men. <laughs> you know, I literally had to sort of pull out. It was hard. It was tough. And yeah, because we had Robbie Page on the program uh, a few weeks ago and he was talking about, you know, they kind of tried to pull the same trick on him and he just went back at him. He kind of, you know, he's, a, I guess, a Hauso guy from Wollongong. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he was uh, <laughs> pretty ready to throw down and they kind of, uh, they smelt that on him and, and, and let him get a couple. Crazy. But, um, I mean, what do you do in that situation? Do you, 
like, yeah, how do you play a situation like that? Like, it's your, your career's on the line as well. I um, mean, you've got to get a result. You can't just let guys... Uh, I mean, sometimes you have to, obviously, when you're a young kid. But, yeah, yeah. how do you play that? Because if you... You, you just got to stick up for yourself and keep working the, working the situation as much as you can toward, you know, into your advantage. I mean, it's like a... You know, I, I got a, I learned a lot certain, growing up surfing Narrabeen, North Narrabeen, in the, in the late 70s and early 80s was tough, you know? Cop a few uh, chops to the back of the head surfing mate, North yeah, Narrabeen. Yeah, it was just... <laughs> it was hard to get away if you're lucky to... I remember getting pushed, um, pushed head first, dunked, like, as we're going around a priority boy. That was, like, my, maybe my first year on tour and they had priority boys. <laughs> How about those things? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Priority boys. I can't even believe I was yeah. surfing during those, that time. But uh, I, I, I remember, I uh, don't know exactly who it was, but I think it was a Hawaiian, maybe Kaipo Hakias or someone similar. I can't remember exactly who it was. But I remember you, you, you raced for the fucking priority boy and I was just like 17 and I'm like, I'm going to fucking skittle across this water so quick and I just I just remember bolting and bolting and I was like I've got the inside track because you try and get the inside track for the priority boy and just as I got there thinking I was just killing it I'm going to get priority I just fucking copped it old ring around the neck just dunked <laughs> put it underwater and like you know legs in the air like fully flipped <laughs> and it's kind of a little moment there where the judges can't quite see what happens behind the priority boy so it's like anything goes and I just got fucking my neck ringed and then and the, the, the Hawaiian popped out on the other side, like, <laughs> he's got priority, and I was just scrambling, freaking working out what just happened, just got somersaulted underwater, and I was like, fuck, I didn't get it. Well, when, when, Pete, when Peter Drum brought out Man on Man Surfing in 1977, his whole idea was around, it was about body contact. Like, he wanted <laughs> contact in Man on Man competition. That was his whole idea, and it sort of just... It kind of... Far out, that was loaded with innuendo, but we'll carry on. <laughs> but Tommy, that's bad. That's bad. A uh, Hawaii, mate. Pipeline, Waimea. Uh, you know, the term proving ground gets thrown around a lot these days, but, you know, what did it mean in those days? Like, it was the proving ground. Well, today, you know, um, you've got places like Nazare and, you, you know, like Mavericks and you've got all... You know, Piahe and all these incredible these ways have been pioneered around the planet. It's just incredible. Back then, we didn't have anything of that. And it was all about Waimea Bay. It was all about Sunset Beach, Haleiwa, that stretch, the seven-mile miracle mile, or whatever you call it. Um, and, and that was the focus of where we... It was it. It was it. To think about a world like that. And that was the focus. Uh, you know, all the imagery that was implanted in my mind through... Surf movies and, and all the media, just whoa, these waves, you know, like Hawaii. That was where we needed to pr prove ourselves. And why Mia Bay was, that was it. And until the outer reefs started to get um, surfed, it, that was it. And why Mia Bay, paddling out why Mia Bay for the first time when you're a kid, it's, it's crazy. It's like so intimidating. Yeah, talk to us about it, man. What do you remember that, that first time out there? Um, my first biggest surf in why Mia Bay was. Actually, when I was 24, so I, I was kind of old, I mean, compared to some of the kids surfing there now, but I remember I got, it was massive, like, it was freaking me out. I was a nine-foot brewer. I got Dick Brewer to shape me and make me a, a nine-footer because I was a little guy, but the board felt small. 
nine foot board and the board felt small. I'm going, wow. I'd never been in a, bro- you know, Hawaii does that. You know, there was that feeling of, God, this board is, is small and I'm, I'm struggling getting onto a wave. But I was so keen on taking the drop on this board. I got absolutely annihilated. Uh, I ended up going, getting, getting my, my first wave got flogged because I just went for it like a madman, of course, and <laughs> went over. Couldn't really control the board. It was just felt giant, the board, but it was tiny. It didn't feel big enough. So I was all in, in out of sorts, going down the face. Couldn't get the, couldn't get the edge in. Got slid along the bottom of the wave and then got taken back over on this massive wave. It just felt like forever getting thrown down. Then got spat back into the, into the impact zone for the next wave. So no leg rope. We wasn't wearing leg ropes back then. So, wow. so it was all about swimming. <laughs> A different world. Uh, and there was people like, you know, Roger Erickson, James Jones, these icons out there just with these massive boards, Al Chapman, this like 12-foot board. And it was, it was just this arena was, was just oh. intoxicating. Wow, I've got tingles on me. That's yeah, my mantle. Yeah. A lot of swimming. But um, scared the living daylights out of me. I mean, it scared the shit out of me. And, and all those waves on the North Shore, they have such a different character to them. You know, talk to us about Waimea because, like, just the drop there and just how it behaves, it's such an odd wave. Waimea? It's like, uh, it's basically a, um, just a little lump of reef out there, out off the bay, off the kind of the northern edge of the bay. And, um, well, eastern side of the bay. And it's... It's just this lump of rock that sticks out super deep off the back of it. So 30-foot wi- wave may break outside it, but it's only because of the inertia of the swell. As something kind of kicks in the eddy in 2016, the eddy, there was waves breaking outside it, which is pretty unique, but it generally closes out at that point. But it just turns into this... It just stands on itself. So you've got to kind of take off kind of underneath it to some degree and if you can chip in from the outside a little bit that can give you a little bit of a break but you don't want to be too far back because the and depending if it's west swell it just takes you out like it just goes top the bottom on the on the on the edge of it whereas if it's more of a northwest swell like say the eddy of 2009 when greg long won it that was an extraordinary north Northwest swell, and that was like perfect bay, massive bay. Not like 2016, where Connor kind of had this ugly, gnarly edge to it. Um, you see with Twiggy Baker when he was like had his 12 foot leg rope, was sort of had him suspended halfway down the face in that shot. Mm. But uh, Wyoming is a unique wave and a unique big wave arena, and it'll just stand alone in itself still today. Mm. That much time out there, TB? Surf Wyoming much? No, I've been out there when it's just trickling, mate. Uh, <laughs> ticked yes. it off and said yes. Just ticked it, it eh? Yeah. yeah. Ticked I think we all do that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Tom, tell us about your mindset in this year. The 1991 Masters. Because this year, I think the only other contest I can think of where someone dominated it so convincingly from start to finish is John John at Margaret's. Right, yeah. Like, you just had that uh, complete and utter... 
belief in yourself that it was going to go down. Like, you just, the snap happened in an early heat. It's like the most iconic day of just fucking dead well, set chew piggery I've ever seen. Where, where were you at in your head? Were you, like, how did you get to a headspace where you just patted out going, nothing can touch me? Well, my wife uh, was on the beach with our first child inside her belly. And I don't know whether anyone becoming a father, you know, for the first time, you're kind of like focused. I've got two kids. I've never fucking caught a wave like that, mate. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. There was a whole bunch of stuff, you know, that sort of drew me to that point. There's a fine-tuning of my focus on wanting to win a pipeline um, because I'd lost my chance at a third world title in 1988 and at some deep level when I lost that chance to an interference call that was changed, the whole ruling was changed six hours later because it was ridiculous and um, anyway, kind of, I lost faith in putting everything into a year to become a world champion at that point. I didn't really know that until way down the track but unconsciously I'd done that but I'd consciously said I'm just going to win the events that I really love and that was Margaret River and Pipeline and uh, I kind of honed myself into Pipe and I won the 1990 and then I went uh, into 1991 feeling so good and focused. And actually, Morris Cole's got a lot to do with that board because that board, shaped by Pat Rawson, was off a design that Morris had sort of stumbled upon, which was the re- reverse V uh, that Tom Curran had, um, you know, surfed so well on through the 90, uh, 1990, won a world title. So on, and I'd just gone, man, that design seems right, Pat. Let's get to work on some reverse Vs for our quiver for Hawaii and particularly the 7-8 the, the, the for Pipeline, which is that, that board there. Mm. And I'm interested to know, uh, Tommy, like, you know, Pipe's where you made your name, man. You're a fucking icon out there. How long did it take to get your groove out there, to find your groove? I think it's... I kind of notice in the guys that do really well out there, just, just really made for it. The kind of... The mindset... Is it should just love that sort of adrenaline, and that the what that wave demands of us is really intense focus. So just knowing that you got that feeling, that feeling for the lineup, especially the way that, especially when it gets bigger, like it's going to be a bit. I think we're going to have a good pipeline masters this year, and so I think the guys are getting ready. The guys that really know that wave, spend time with it. Get be really sick to watch what goes down in yeah. this next. Yeah. Was that the spirit of Dave Wassell's uh, hovering around the room? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it fires up this next week. Is there a swell coming or what? Well, uh, before we get into that chat, I reckon it's time to uh, complete this panel and get the final legend up here. Yes, baby. Fucking oh. He's the perennial core lord, the battler's battler, a spirit man, our spirit animal. <laughs> he sits at the very top of our totem. Give it up for Morris Cole. For fuck's sake, is anyone out there? Now listen, I've watched you two fucking wankers over there <laughs> dribble on for fucking at least an hour. I've listened to you dribble on for fucking half an hour. 
I've listened to fucking Taj at least talk a few fucking stories for at least 15 minutes. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Here we go. He's got the mind. Buckle up. What the fuck do we want to talk about? I mean, pick a fucking subject. Pick a fucking surfer. Soapbox. Pick an era. Soapbox. Don't fucking start me, Mr. Wallet. That's an that's an in story. I've got more shit on this guy than this fucking Werribee sewerage farm. Okay. Now, I've been sitting out. over there for fucking an hour and a half. I saw you pacing, mate, back and forth. When no, are no, they no. going to get me up there, for get fuck's sake? <laughs> I'm like, it better be soon. Now, now seriously, seriously, tonight, I wasn't going to come here. Do you know why? Because there's fucking certain parameters you can't fucking talk about. Not there on this show, not. mate. There is not. Righto, so... You ready? You ready, ready to go? I am so fucking ready, I'm well, nearly ready to fall go... over. Hey? I mean, he's sweating. No, no, no. Let's, let's get fucking real here. Let's get real. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we fucking let's go. Let's get real. We well, it doesn't get realer than Teddy Bear's picnic. <laughs> Fuck. Tell what? us what's going on here, Morris, the rave cave in Margaret River. Deep. Oh, oh, oh. So this is when Taj and I, you know, like you're talking about all these Tories, stories about Taj. You know, let's fuck it. Do we start with Taj or Tom? Whatever you want to do. Righto. Put your fucking microphone Whatever you up. want to do, Morris. Oh, I just want to okay, know, Morris, right I just want to know, mate, well, looking at this film, I want to know exactly what drugs you're on and uh, whose fucking beats they are, because they are absolutely massive. Mate. Are they yours? The problem was fucking Taj wasn't on any drugs. Yeah, and we were on every drug. Yeah, techno sucks when you're not on drugs. It's, uh, fucking exactly, mate. I'd just come to Margaret River... I'd been in Europe for fucking ten years, been in fucking England. What was going on in England? Rave. You're in the fucking rave scene, the original jungle scene. Rave mate. scene, mate. You me? don't even fucking know. You want to dance off, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here we go. Whoa! Absolutely. Fucking. Bring it on, motherfucker. So. I can throw shapes, but, like, not that good, man. Oh, take you out, motherfucker. Take you out, motherfucker. Anyhow. I want more of that shit. So, for fuck's sake. I was there in the 80s in England. Talk me through it. Talk me through it. Talk what was the scene like? Talk, Talk you through give, it. Give me, the, give me the rundown. Talk you through it. I was in England and I said, wow, we've just come through the disco era. It was called cocaine. Alcohol, more cocaine, more cocaine, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah, and we surfed during the day. <laughs> just. I didn't fucking sleep just. for 15 fucking years. <laughs> Hey? Anyhow. So, so anyhow. So, and fucking Taj knows, because he saw the end of it. He's this young kid, and he turns up in this fucking cave, which you just saw then, and he goes, what the... Well, fucking hell, what... There's all these gorgeous girls fucking dancing and grinding and fucking... What the hell's going on here? You know? Anyhow, so... 
if you go back to the 80s and they go, well, fuck, they, they gave me this shit one night and they said, come and check this fucking party out. And I went, what do you mean? We went to this, 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 it was, a, it was actually a fucking, it was an old mine, okay? It was like a quarry. There's 5,000 fucking people there. Fuck yeah. There's that no sounds like my kind security. of party, no one's drinking alcohol. Everyone's drinking fucking water. <laughs> Anyhow, I look at these 5,000 fucking people and I'm going, fucking hell, I've been dancing for fucking 10 hours. <laughs> Fuck, I'm feeling good. <laughs> Fuck, I'm the best fucking dancer in the world. Anybody ever had that experience? Yeah, I'm the fucking best dancer in the fucking world. Oh, man. Anyhow, so we got through all that era. Somehow. You know, somehow. And we're, we're living here. in France. We're, we're living in France. I'm living in France. You know, like, of course, in France in those days, there was a few barrels to be ridden. There was a few surfboards to be ridden. There was this young cunt called Tom... No, the other one. Curran. <laughs> Curran. Right. There was this young guy called fucking Tom Curran and anyhow, you know, so... Yeah, I was making a few boards in the day and uh, came up with a bit of a fucking thing called the reverse V. And so Tom was there and there was a Tom Curran and there was fucking... Who else was there? Barton and fucking... There was this fucking lunatic called Ross Clark Jones. And you want to talk some fucking stories about Ross Yeah, Clark give Jones? us an RCJ story, Morris. Ah... Uh, which one do you want to hear? Oh, the best. Let's Spain. go straight no, to the top. No, there's no such thing as the best. There's Spain fucking bad. I'll guess the worst then. There's what bad, about, bad, about... mad and mad. <laughs> you used to drive Spain pretty and... fast from France to Mandaka, didn't you, when there was a swell? Uh, Todd Lee and I, we drove from Hossegor to Mandaka in 59 minutes. <laughs> Generally what, a four What you don't realise, that's <laughs> like going from here to Melbourne in fucking three minutes. <laughs> At three in the morning. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. It was five in the morning. Anyhow, so, so look, so anyhow, so the whole France thing was fucking unbelievable. Tell us about that window in France, though. Like, when you were there discovering those fucking beaches that we've all seen now, how good they are, and you had that window, like, you've got to be pretty grateful because that's not... It's not like that now. It's fucking... There was there's, no one surfing. German surf schools up and down the beach. Like, the place is just... You know what it's like now. Oh, so don't mention the fucking war. <laughs> don't mention the fucking... Anyhow. Sorry, mate. Anyhow. No, no, what about I mean, that time, though? That period? Like, oh, who, who turned you on to it? Look, look, I arrived in France in 1980 for the world titles. Somehow I made the fucking Victorian team after... No, the Australian team after getting out of jail for... What was it? It was only fucking two years in jail for, what was it? Possession. That's right. Yeah, I won the Australian title. Yeah, I'm actually the longest serving prisoner in Australian history. <laughs> yeah. Give Fuck it up. Yeah. Bring Give it, it yeah. up for the man. Fuck yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, fuck yeah. yeah. I've got an Australian... I finally yeah. got an Australian fucking title. Fuck yeah. Anyhow, I'm having flashbacks. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> Actually, my mentor was the guy that blew up fucking Russell Street. It's all right. I'm about to bring out a fucking book about... I'm not sure whether I can actually even say it here right now because there's one still alive. <laughs> you'll fucking hear about this story. Fuck What's Russell Street? Street? I'm not from Victoria. Can that? someone explain? What's that? What's Russell Street? I'm not from... Russell Street was a bloke, a friend of mine who was a mentor in prison. 
Yeah, he was the bloke that I trusted most in prison. He fucking blew up Russell Street, killed a cop. And uh, he was called by John Sylvester, who's the biggest crime reporter from the age, as the most psychotic fucking criminal in Australia's history. And he was my mentor. Oh, so you guys are <laughs> But I'm not using that as a fucking excuse, okay? I'm not using that as an excuse. And can, can you explain some of his mentorship, Morris? Like, uh, you know, what were some of the kind of skills and uh, advice you got? Not, not meditation, I'm assuming. Oh, well, do you, you want to talk about meditation for five minutes? Five minutes of meditation. I was thinking about that before and I was thinking, is that a wank? No, it's not, no. Okay, no, that, uh, can, we can do that quicker than fucking five minutes. But, uh, <laughs> anyhow, so, 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 when I go, what was I? I actually learned to fight in the in clean. jail. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I bet yeah, you. Yeah. We either learn or you get fucking whipped. So you got no, no. You don't get whipped. You get fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, yeah, I know, man. My brother just did 20 months in Maxo, and he told me, actually, um, a, guy, a guy was in jail with uh, an Aboriginal flag tattooed on him, but it turned out he wasn't Aboriginal, and the local blackfellas found out, and they fucking raped him. Okay. There's a lot of history there, but uh, anyway. Well, there's a lot of history there, and it's... And a, that's the... It's, that it's, pri- it's, prison rape's fucking as real as real can be, mate. It goes you down. You better fucking believe it. In fucking jail, you could either fucking fight, or you couldn't. I can tell you a little fucking history of the Torquay Hotel. What we used to do in the old days was we'd come to the pub on Thursday night and Friday night and we'd fucking fight. We'd get pissed and we'd fight and there was this thing... Shit, I'm not... I'm not Damo, can I tell the story about the fucking perfect one? He's, uh, Morris is looking to his uh, media manager no, slash no, no, son, no, Damien slash Cole. Son. <laughs> I promised I wouldn't fucking embarrass him or hinder his political career. <laughs> okay. Well, I actually got to a point this afternoon and Tom heard it. And, oh, fuck. I know so much shit about what went on before he was even a grommet, you know, and I go back to a lot of the days and I actually went, fuck, I can't tell a lot of those stories because it's really embarrassing and it really puts a lot of people under the pump. Pretty sure everyone's feeling pretty comfy right now. <laughs> we haven't really touched on any taboo subjects or mentioned anything that makes well, people feel awkward. <laughs> That's why I drink I'm just about to shrivel into my fucking shoes. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I drink fucking red wine and if I had I had one more red wine hey, I would have fucking like this. fallen over. Yeah, it's like this. You want to talk about prison? Like, no one wants to talk about prison but this is what fucking goes down in prison. We all want to turn a blind eye to what goes on in there. Mate, the joint's fucking rancid. It does not rehabilitate people. There's just no turn... such thing as fucking rehabilitation. And we, all, and we all just, we all fucking turn a blind eye and we'd rather not have these awkward conversations about prison rape and what goes on in there and yeah, violence. And, and intergenerational trauma and poverty and how fucking oh, blackfellas get picked, on, picked on in this country, mate. 28% of the prison population is Aboriginal. These two are just going to play tennis all night. I can see what's fuck, going on. Fuck it. Yeah. But hey, you know what? They put a fucking young kid in jail and they fucking released an armed lunatic. That's right. And Basically. they put you away for fucking hash oil, mate. A little bit of plant-based oil, which is now Possession. right here in my hands. Possession. And he's fucking... Oh, oh for fuck's sake. Have a squirt. No, I, I gave it up last week because I fucking ran well, that's out. Not, that's CBD. <laughs> I mean, that's CBD oil, non-psychoactive, great for anxiety, great for inflammation. You know, this, is, this shit is like, 
just par for the course in, in looking after yourself, really. Fuck, I knew that in 1974, I know you did, mate. I know you did. It's a fucking outrage. What fucking year is it? The fucking narc Nixon and his no-fun America, mate, and his tentacles spreading all through the world. What a grub that cunt was. What Fuck. I want to know from you, mate, is what's it like to shape the best board ever made? Seven, eight, Morris V with yellow rails. Ridden by Tom Curran into the famous backdoor cutback shot. Okay, if you have a look at that photo, the first thing is that's a 7 8. How good's a bit of length, by the way? Length looks so much better. Are you getting back on the length program too? Absolutely, mate. I saw X-ray. that fucking x ray before, and they talk about the length. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, so if you look at that photo and look at the size of the wave, that's a 7-8, and um, he's got a berry to probably fucking dare I mention. Seven-eighths of the way into the wave. Six inches from the nose. That was Tom Curran, and they were the first reverse fees I did. But it's a real bummer that you guys don't even fucking know that Taj at, with, in Teddy Bear's Picnic I've still got the board, rode a 6-7 reverse V, I've still got. Yes, I do. <laughs> Anyhow, sorry. And, and what that was, it was probably the last reverse V that I did for the younger generation, you young bastard. Anyhow. You know what spins you. me out a lot is I, I look at, um, say, footage from that era... Uh, of myself, and I, um, I was riding like six sevens, and I've got a, I've got a two board standout in mind. This is lengthy boards, like six seven and a six ten that you made me. I've got one of them, six ten. It's seventeen and a quarter. It's like this under your arm, and it's just like obviously six ten by that that width is so gunny and so pinny. But um, I used to ride this board at North Point all the time. And I look at footage now and I'm just like, fuck, that board is insane. Like, best, best looking board ever. And if I was to stand on a 610 today at North Point, I would look like a fucking beginner. I wouldn't know what to do with it. But th- for some reason then, it was just perfect. 6'7 and 6'10. I used to ride a 6'7 at, like, Tombstones up at Nalu, up at Nalu yeah. when it was just, just starting to freight across the ledges, six foot, and it just looked normal. And I could not do that now. Is length coming back? Why not? Are we going to see longer boards again? Look, 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 just so... so, I'm going to talk to Taj about this one because I've just been talking to Margot this week. And um, if you remember Margot in that teddy bear's picnic ship when we went to Nalu, he's the only fucking guy I've ever seen at Nalu at eight foot come out of the fucking barrel and go fucking straight up vertical in the lip and come down. To the point where I was asked a question, I think it was myself. I think I probably asked myself a fucking question. (laughs) I've got no cunt to talk to anymore, I just talk to myself. So anyhow, so so it was about a week ago and I went home, I, I asked myself, who are the fucking most creative surfers that I've ever shaped for. Margot. <laughs> and, you know, I've shaped for Oki. I've shaped for, you know, I did all these reverse fees. I've shaped for Tom Carroll. I've shaped for Tom Curran. I've shaped for yourself. 
And I just went through this whole mind-fuck thing of, fuck, who were the most creative surfers? And I remember Tara's doing the first airs, which blew me out, okay? So I'm going, fuck yeah. And I watched Tom Carroll ride a Rawson at fucking at Pipe, which was the first reverse V that Pat made, and he did that fucking under the fucking lip. So when you go back and, and look at it, look at it all, and you go, okay, fuck, creative surfers that I've shaped for. And I sort of go back to Oki, Sons of Fun, did a fucking thing on that. But I just sort of go, the creation is, what the fuck are we doing in surfboard design? And I've had this thing where the faster you can fucking go and turn. And then we get to Ross Clark Jones, you know, when we did tow boards and stuff like that. If you want to hear a fucking crazy motherfucking story about Ross, I went out on the point one day at Wymere. And fucking Ross, okay, I watch him. No leg rope, no nothing. And Tom will fucking, he'll, he'll, he'll verify all of this. I watch him, no leg rope. He just paddles to the inside, waits for the biggest fucking set. Five people fucking take the wave. He just spins around on the outside and he just makes the drop, right? He can't fucking make the bottom turn. He eats fucking shit. He swims to the fucking beach. He comes, paddles back out and he does exactly the same thing. <laughs> Ross fucking take... He's taken all these wipeouts. And all of a sudden, Ross fucking takes off this wave. And I'm watching, and he doesn't come up. I'm going, fuck. He's fucking dead. <laughs> fucking Ross is fucking dead. Second wave comes, and he pops up. And I go, fuck this shit. I'm going home. I can't watch this shit anymore. I'm watching one of my best fucking friends nearly dying. So that night, I go to fucking Ross. I go, what the fuck? What were you thinking? And he goes, fuck, I could hear the rocks. I could hear the boulders rolling around. I'm like, what? And he goes, I'm listening to the boulders. I can hear the noise of the fucking rocks under Wymere rolling around. Then he said, I look up and I see this incredible fucking silver fucking thing go past. And I go, oh, fuck, that's the next wave. And I'm going, what the fuck are you thinking? You've just fucking gone under two waves at Wymere. And he goes, yeah, it was a beautiful thing. And I'm like... You're fucked up. <laughs> you really have a fucking problem. <laughs> That's our Ross. That is our Ross. That's Ross. Yeah. And when you... Okay. Mental story. Mental know. story. Loving it. Morris, we've also brought your son, Damo, up here. Lo- Damo. Yeah, Damo. Who's that? Yeah. Who is he? One of your uh, half a dozen Ill- illegitimate uh, children. But... Uh, Damo, talk Seven, to actually. <laughs> Luckily, I got your big, thick skull, mate. That's it. Anyhow. Talk to... I mean, Damo, he's uh, had a run at local politics down here. He's having a big fucking swing for the man, for the battler. Uh, Damo, talk, talk to us about it, man. Talk to us about growing up uh, 
with an old man like Morris. Talk to us about your introduction to politics, which I think happened in France around the time Jacques Chirac was nuking the fuck out of uh, the Pacific. Growing, growing up, it's, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been an incredible... incredible I, I'm 33 now. My whole life I've grown up around... Like, all, we've heard about this out, uh, you know, all night. When we talk about all these kind of car rides and 59 minutes to Mundaka, when we talk about going from, Honolulu, uh, from the North Shore to Honolulu, all of that... The one thing that no one ever talks about is the fact that there were two kids in the back. <laughs> <laughs> kind of shitting themselves, going like, all right, fuck, is this it, eh? You used to say, faster, Pops, faster. And that's where we go, it's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative. Um, yeah, listen, growing up, growing up with a dad as a fucking maniac as my dad is. Um, it's been incredible. It, it has. It's really been, it's been amazing. But Damo, man, talk to us about your political career, man, because you've, you've had a, you know, you had a good run at it. Yeah, I, well, listen, um, uh, interesting. And like, you know, listen, I'm on I'm my hometown here and I love Torquay. Okay. I love the surf coast. And uh, that's the whole thing. Like, I've grown up, um, obviously, as, you know, Morris's son, the guys, yes, he's a shaper. Yep, he's a world-renowned fucking blah, blah, bullshit, whatever. Um, but the biggest thing that he's been has bullshit. been, for me, the biggest inspiration out of everything has been the fact that he's always looked after his community and he's always looked after his people and he's always looked after his environment and, and our environment. And um, so for, for that, you know, it, it, it's always been a big one. But... Um, I grew up throughout my 20s, like, yeah, man, I worked in the mines, I worked in the offshore industry, and I was that guy who was always just like, ah, you know what, fuck, what am I ever going to do? Like, I'm just, I'm just another number. I'm just, I'm just another guy who hasn't got any degree, I haven't got any career or anything, I've got nothing. And then that all changed a couple of years ago where after years and years of telling myself that, I, I literally came to that conclusion where I just went, you know what, you're fucking bullshitting yourself like you're lying to yourself what are you doing man like and I, and on this last job I was earning like 1500 bucks a day or some stupid thing and the crew that I was with were like hey man you coming to the next job and I was like no I'm I, I'm out and they're like well what are you gonna do and they were kind of like semi laughing like well, what else are you gonna do and I was like I'm gonna go study environmental science and I got laughed at you know like, and I, I, mate, and that, that was the end of 2015, and I had no idea what the fuck I was going to do, and I was just like, all right. But I knew that, for me, I had, I'd run my course, and I had, I dug myself into this bit of a, like, bit of a hole where I was just like, I'm, I was feeling shit, man. I was earning, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars a, a, a year, and I felt horrible. If we, if we, if we want to get to the baby boomers and what they fucking do. Let's not fucking water it down, the fucking climate is just fucking fucked. And we have just fucking taken all the resources we have taken and we've increased your debt. And what have we left you with? Nah, you know what, you know, nah, you know what you've left us with? You know what you've left us with? You've left us with a bunch of crew from my generation and the younger generation who are passionate and standing up for our awesome. fucking country right and our there. planet. Hey, Damo. So there you go. That's what, that's what you've left us with. Damo, there's always a gift wrapped in the ship. There's always a gift wrapped in the ship. So that's the main thing. Well, that, that's exactly it. I mean, a lot of you guys know me around here. 
I'm not a fucking career politician. Never have been. Don't ever want to be. I'm not a politician at this point. All I look at, and I, I look at what's going wrong in our world right now and how we can actually improve that. And that's where I just look at that and I go, well, you know what? We can fucking make a, we can make a difference right now. And it is that power of the people. Yes. Fucking oath, Damo. Yes, Damo. All right, now it's time to throw it over to the Swellians for a section we call Ask Us a Question. Ask Us a Question will tell you no lie. Ask Us a Question will tell you no lie. I didn't know if we were like telling stories or at a Rodney Roode gig there for a while. There was that many F bombs getting dropped. Front row. What's your name, man? Nathaniel, um, so we have the gaff, but you've have you like you served your race and whatnot. What's the gaff to reef ratio? And you when you surf your reef, where where where's the point where you go? You gaff, have that gaff or oh, you? Come on, mate. What is so, this Swahili? Hey, come on, man. So you're he genuinely me. asked you. I heard gaff and so reef. You asking me about the gaff? So. I don't understand. What do you mean, ratio? So what do you want to know? Like, how heavy the waves have to be before you wear a gun? Or what? Yeah, basically. Like, where do you go before you wear a gun? Alright, so I guess, let's rephrase, let's rephrase that question. In terms of, we, we've seen a resurgence in it this year. brain damage? We, we... <laughs> um, well, the reason why I wore a, a gaff helmet uh, well, actually, a helmet started before Gaths came in uh, 987 in the Pipeline Masters was that a friend of mine, his name is Steve Massafella, um, had a, a, a plate put in his head after hitting the reef with his head in 1984, and I saw it. And um, he was a, one guy that used to talk to me in the lineup in the 80s, because no one used to talk to you in the lineup back then. He was the one guy I used to talk to, and, but, and he got medevaced out of pipe. He was out. Um, the next winter, I went to talk to him. He was wearing an orange, bright orange helmet, and I went to talk to him, and he was splurring his speech, and he couldn't quite, he didn't, he didn't quite get who I was. And I was, I knew him. He knew who I was. So he had brain damage. He was wearing a helmet after the fact. And I've gone, why do we do that? Why as humans, we do this crazy thinking that, Oh, okay, so we get brain damage, we just kind of come out with some horrible hand injury, then we wear the helmet. So I've gone, I want to go behind the peak of pipeline, I want to get as deep as I can, I don't want to give a fuck about my head. So, and I couldn't give a fuck about my head because I wanted to be relaxed and charging. So I put a head, helmet on my head and it got me further and deeper back and got me in my first world. Now, if I, if I can interject... It's about a guy who probably should be a swell in, Sonny Garcia. These three guys over here, Taj, Tom, Morris. Can you please tell us your best Sonny Garcia story if he freaked you out, beat you up, or anything in between? Uh, uh, Sonny, Let's divulge. Sonny, Good God bless him, man. God bless his soul, you know. Sonny, such a sad story, and I'm, but I love Sonny. He, he, I never, ever got that side of Sonny. I always saw he, he's always been really a, just a, a wonderful, gentle soul to me. 
and really understanding and really deep, deep person. And so uh, my first experience with Sonny was that he, he scared the shit out of me surfing against him as a young kid at the, New, at the Newcastle um, uh, event, which was an ASP, um, was a world tour event. And he turned up, this young Hawaiian kid, and he just freaking blew us all away. He just literally turned up out of nowhere. I went, who the hell's this guy warming up? Just blowing the back out of every lip. And it was just, you know, I, all I, I never saw him, I saw him do some crazy stuff, like scream and carry on in, in, in the lineup and stuff like that, but I never got that personally. So, um, you know, I just love Sonny. He's, he was always a real, real nice person, real good person, really understanding. Actually stood up for the surfers, um, you know, really could see and call people out. Like, just call, call a spade a spade, which I love that thing about Sonny. But a hypersensitive guy, um, and I just really feel for where he's at right now. It's brutal. How the fuck do Eddie That's a really, really, really big question. Um, I've known Sonny since he was a kid. And, um... You fucker. You really got this one going, didn't you? No, no, it's okay, because we should really talk about this. And this is sort of getting back to the serious, the serious side of life. A long, long time ago, and, you know, Tom knows that one of my best friends was Dane Kealoa. And Dane was like royalty. He's probably... He is, you know, when I talk about the surfers that have always been my favourite surfers, they've always been the power surfers. And, you know, Dane was up there and, you know, Tom knows and Taj knows that, you know, I was best friends with Dane, you know, and Dane came out of here and I looked after Dane out in Australia. So Dane and I were very, very, very close best of friends and, you know... Um, yeah, so all of a sudden this young kid came along called Sonny Garcia. And because I always looked after the Hawaiians when they came down here and I was always really looked after from 1973 by Reno Abalera and um, you wouldn't even know who he was, but he was the best surfer of that era and he was like one of the most eloquent surfers of all time, the Hawaiian surfers. And one year he sort of said, you know, Dane's coming out here and Larry Bertelman and, you know, there was all these incredible surfers called Calvin Maida and um, <sighs> Marvin Foster and they stayed with me and Kim Thompson, who was my partner, looked after Larry Bertelman, Louis Ferrara and fuck... Um, Vince Klein and, you know, just like, who were the Hawaiian, the real Hawaiians, you know. So obviously because of the way I look, I always had a very close affinity with, with the Hawaiians. 
And when I went to Hawaii, I was treated the same as when I went to Hawaii. It was like a brotherhood. It was the first time I ever realised when I went to Hawaii when I was 18, there was a fucking thing called racism in Australia. And the, to, be a, to be a dark person in Australia in those days was fuck. It was a really, really, really derogative thing. So I lived through all of that. So all of a sudden there was a, a young kid called Sonny Garcia and um, he came to me one day and I was really good friends because I was good friends with all the young Hawaiians, the older Hawaiians, fuck, all the way up to the Icows, you know, like when, when Eddie disappeared, Clyde was here in the 70s and there was always a really close affinity. Jeez, you've opened up a fucking... You've opened up a fucking story here. Okay, so Sonny... So Sonny was one of those kids that... I'm going to tell the story because I think it's really important that it's part of our heritage as surfers and it's part of our heritage as accepting people for fucking who they are, no matter what colour, no matter what creed. Just doesn't matter who the fuck we are, we surf. You know? Yeah, you know? And that's our culture, you know? That, that's who we are. We surf waves. We don't give a fuck whether you're white, green, blue or fucking black. You know? I don't know. How many green blokes are there out there? <laughs> we could, Sorry about probably that. probably got some green in here somewhere. Yeah, yeah there's a, uh, Watch out, out for those fucking or... greenies. Anyhow, so Sonny came to me when he was a kid. And uh, he just said to me, you know what, fucking help me, man. I just was in a, a heat with Sonny at Huntington and um, fucking Dane cracked me. He fucking, in a heat, fucking Dane Kealoa, who was the king of kings, the black prince, fuck, the best surfer that ever surfed backdoor. Yep, probably, yeah, no one better. Like the, the style master, the greatest fucking surfer, one of the greatest surfers. I'll tell a little story on that. I listened to Bugs and Richard Cram one day saying, how the fuck can we beat Dane Kealoa? And they talked backhand, forehand, tube riding, and they went, the only way we can stop him is fucking stop him from catching a third wave or a second wave because he could fuck us all. He was the best server on the planet at that stage, okay? And he was a beautiful human, you know? But he had some heavy shit going on in his childhood. He had racism. He fucking had shit go down against him that I'm not going to go into now because we're going to get to Sonny. All of a sudden, Sonny's been fucking punched in the head by Dane at, in Huntington Beach. And Sonny's came to me and gone, you know what? Fucking Dane cracked me. And I went to Dane. I went, why did you fucking crack fucking Sonny? And he went, <laughs> he went, fuck. He hassled me in a heat and got fucking, he pulled my leg rope. So I went back to Sonny and went, what the fuck did you fucking pull his leg rope for? And Sonny goes, yeah, but fuck, I didn't mean to. It was an accident. And Dane had his... Hawaiian leash on, which was a long leash. So 
there was an old restaurant in Sunset Beach called uh, Diamico's. So Diamico's, I, I invited Sonny, who was the young gun, and I invited Dane, who was the the master, to to a um, to breakfast. And I remember sitting there, and they both arrived, and they both looked at each other. I said, you fucking respect him. You fucking respect him. You fucking love each other. For fuck's sake, what the fuck is an Australian doing in the middle of telling you how fucking dumb you fucking Hawaiians are? (laughs) Done so in a very subtle Australian way. Very, very subtle Australian way. So... In the end, in the end, um, in the end, they fucking hugged each other and they became friends for life. Now, Sonny, when you go back to Sonny, Sonny, because of his upbringing, I'm not going to go there and I'm not going to go with my upbringing, but I suffer from severe depression, okay? And Sonny and I got together a couple of years ago and we suffered from fucking depression, and he suffers from depression too. And we sat there and I made him a, a couple of guns. I made him a, a 9.6 and a 10.0 for, for um, Jaws and Sonny and I, you know. We, I'm fucking uncle to him, you know. And, um, you know, the whole thing with Sonny was he fought his demons like I fight my demons and Damo knows that I have pretty fucking heavy demons from my upbringing and it's no fucking excuse it's just the way it is and Sonny suffers from his demons also this guy who fucking went out of his way to help everybody but him fucking self yeah, that's fair a, call. That's fair a, call. That's he a, helped that's everybody. <laughs> you know? <laughs> to the point, to the point where he forgot to look after himself. Five minutes a day. So when the shit, when the shit hit the fan. Start with five. You know, I, I, I still, you know, like two years ago, Sonny and I... He came to San Clemente, I made him a couple of boards, and we talked about our depression. And we talked about, do we look after ourselves? And no, we don't. We put each other, we put other people before us because we want to help people. We want to, and that's part of giving. And it wasn't about ever taking with Sonny and anybody who has any negative fucking shit about Sonny, mate, fuck you. <laughs> you don't fucking understand. Have a fucking good look at yourself. And I'm not talking yeah, to yeah. you. I'm talking to everybody. Well done. Great question, though. Here, I have a cone piece, sir. Have a couple. All right, let's wrap this thing up. We got two questions left. We got one in the front row, and we got one here. That's it. We got one for Grommy here. Here we go. You ready? So, Tarjan Tom, what surfers did you look up to as a kid? 
Great question, son. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to give you a cone piece. Stay in school. Don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate, dude. For me, um, like, I, I loved watching Kelly, Shane Dorian, Shane Powell, Shane Herring, a few Shanes in there, and then it moved on to, like, Oki and obviously Tom, this guy next to me. I love Luke Egan as well. And then, um, then it was all the guys I was competing against. You know, it's like, it's funny, you kind of look up to the guys that are older, and then as my career goes on, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, John Johns and Gabrielles and Philippe's. So I, my, my inspiration comes from heaps of bloody good surfers, for sure. Like, all generations. Good question, buddy. Great question. Yeah, um, well, I, I mentioned them a little bit earlier. You know, it started off very much like Taj, because I love surfing so much, it's in my bones. Starts off when I'm really young, looking at guys. It was actually Derek Hine. He was the first one. He was my local best surfer at Newport Beach. Uh, and um, and then it was, you know, Cole Smith from Narrabeen, who was the most radical surfer. Uh, Cole Smith, you remember Cole Smith? Oh, <laughs> he used to do vertical entries everywhere, and I used to go, froth on that. You know, and then it was Michael Peterson. Because I just, my brother and I used to think, he used to do these big, big gerbacks. We call gerbacks. So just all rail. And I just went, my MP cutbacks. That was it. And so it just progressed from there. All right, TB. What the fuck happened at the right? Well, it's went way too much hype now, but um, I, I think we can finish on a happy note with it. I mean, I think it's a funny story, but you can be the judge. We've, co we've covered some pretty hectic topics tonight, but I, I want to finish on what I hope is a high. Yeah. So what happened to me was, um, like these guys wanted to bring up earlier, the footage of me and Mark surfing the right, I, um, I f obviously fell at the end, cartwheel down the face and fucking hurt my shoulder. And this shoulder of mine was like, it was killing me for months, and I just kept on doing contest after contest. I'm like, every, every paddle was like, fuck, it's a pretty sharp pain in my shoulder. And it was actually this one. And um, anyway, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I gotta, get, I gotta get this shoulder looked at. And um, anyway, I'll try and keep this short. <laughs> I don't want everyone to get impatient. So what happened was, um, I, I went to see, get, get it worked on. I'm like, I've had massages, I've had a few people, you know, do some, some healing on it. And anyway, the shoulder was just killing me. It had been a long time. I was like, I got the, I got the, I got a tip off from a friend that uh, there's this place in Sydney that you can go and get some, some energy healing. And I'm open to all sorts of alternative healing. And I'm like, Fuck yeah, I'm doing it. This shoulder's doing my head in. I want to fix it. I'm going to try everything. So I went to this place and um, it was... I won't go into detail, but I opened the door and it was just fucking weird, straight off the bat. And I was like, whoa, this is bizarre. And I, I had this lady say, are you here for the, the 11 a.m. And, and such and such? I was like, yeah, I think so. That's me. And she goes, oh, she goes, oh Roberto will be with you soon. And I was like, oh, okay, so it sounds like a guy that's going to be doing this energy healing. Kind of pictured a girl doing it, but it's all right. Um, anyway, so Roberto comes out and he's kind of scary looking. And um, 
he he just goes he just kind of looks at me and doesn't say much and just goes follow me and I follow him through fucking corridors and like almost tunnels into the fucking depths of hell it felt like I was just walking through these dark rooms like one after the other and I was like it felt really really weird like really like I'm being honest it like not not not, not even being trying to be funny, I was freaked the fuck out. I was like, where am I going? Like, I only had a tip off from a friend. I was so scared. Anyway, I'm going like through so many different zones, like so weird, and it was like a, a maze. And I, I, I kind of looked at my phone as I was following him down. I'm like, fuck, I've got one bar left. This is kind of weird. And I text my missus and I said, this is where I am. You know, if I don't, if you don't hear from me in an hour, I'm here at this address. And, and, and she's like, she just sent, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Going, I kept going into room after room, like, room, like dark, deep hallways. We eventually it's came to this room. Knows. And it was really dark. That's all I remember. Like, obviously dark. And I went into this room, and this guy kind of looked like a bit of a, kind of a voodoo-y witch doctor kind of guy. Like, a little bit intimidating, <laughs> scary. A lot, a lot, a lot like Morris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, this guy asked me to, um, to, to lay on the table. I um, had, uh, I remember clearly, I had like, um, I, had, I, I took my shirt off and laid face down like in a normal massage table, still had pants on or whatever, <laughs> laid down and um, he, he started to, to do the, this like energy healing and um, he, he kind of like, put his hands on my, on my back and then he, like lower back and one kind of up around my shoulder blades and he just kind of kept his hands there and then out of nowhere he just goes <laughs> and I was like, I was like, whoa, that, that was pretty, pretty intense. <laughs> and then, and then he, he, he kept doing this same, this same thing all over my body he would grab different parts my shoulder and he would just go <laughs> and I was like fuck this is a, this is crazy like this is some there's some energy going on and um and I was like this is interesting like I hope it works you know and and then um and then he I was still a bit spooked because it was pretty unique to me I had never had a treatment like this and then he asked me to turn over and um <laughs> And then, no, no, I, I'm, all, I'm open to all sorts of healing. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he, um, he, he, had his, he had his hands like um, kind of on my chest and he was doing the same thing. He was just letting out the like almighty exorcism roars. Like they were fucking, like he was coughing after, after every time he screamed because it was like he was fucking getting into it. Um, and he would just put two hands, like chest and stomach, and just go. <laughs> anyway, he he um he did that. He did that, and then he kind of he kind of he spread his hands a little bit more, and like one kind of went onto my to my chest, and one went kind of to my like lower stomach, and he just let out another. <laughs> and he was coughing, and like it, it was all happening, and I was like feeling so freaked out. I was like kind of ready to just get up and, and just go, oh yeah, I'm feeling good. Like that's, <laughs> that's probably a wrap, eh? And, and, and then, 
Has there ever been a better metaphor for tonight? (laughs) (laughs) We're getting close. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is it, this is it. And then, and then, um... What the fuck are you holding there? And then next minute... (laughs) Next minute, he just, he went to, you know, the next level when he kind of put his hand, like, right down, like, on my kind of pubic bone. And, and, and up here on my chest and just let out another roar. And I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. And I, it didn't feel like it was, it was creepy, like, but it was, it was just like, this is, I, I, this is close to my cock and balls. Like, it's right there. And, um, and then I was just like, fuck, surely that's the last fucking yell he's going he's gonna to let out. And, um, and then next minute, he just went the next level and just went handful of cock and balls. <laughs> grabbed me by the cock and balls and by the neck and just went (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like going fuck what on earth is happening and I was like fuck or maybe I've got some demons down there but like this is a bit much like this is crazy and I just kind of One skittled out of the bed and just went, mate, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's enough. <laughs> and I, um, I ran for the hills. That was it. I bolted through that corridor. Like, I thought I didn't know the way out. I fucking knew the way out. <laughs> I bolted. <laughs> and and, um, and that, that was it. The punchline is... Was your shoulder better? The punchline is, I went and got an MRI the next day and the brick goes, it's, you've torn your ligaments off the bone, there's no way to reattach it but me fixing it. And I was like, fuck! I got my cock and balls grabbed for no reason. Well, that wraps it up, Swellians. I hope you were entertained, because I know I was. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 You've gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. 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 You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me. You kidding me? Are 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 you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? 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 You're not fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?